the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 9 three six seven five so sit back relax and remember southern sense is common sense emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another confusing episode of Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, all that. With it, even on iHeartRadio. Uh, just check it out. Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle of southern sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co host, who I hope is with me in the studio, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, are you with me? Curtis? We're talking. I have no sound from you. And it, I see people here in the chat room. Let me know if you're hearing me, because I am not hearing Curtis. Uh, if someone will just tell me in the chat room whether or not you're hearing me. Uh, I don't know what the problem is, but I cannot hear my co-host Curtis, C.S. Bennett, for some reason today. Curtis, double-check the settings on your computer. You may have yourself muted somewhere along the way. Otherwise, you may need to use to call in with your cell phone. I apologize for the technical difficulties we are having, but for some reason, life is not working with us today. Okay, and Sasquatch says he can hear me, but not you, Curtis. So, Curtis, the problem is on your end for some reason. I'm sorry, sweetheart. Um, If you can't find another way to uh, call into the studio, and we'll get the show rocking and rolling. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a jam-packed show today. Um, We've got... uh, Pastor Daryl Scott is going to be calling in again today. Uh, he is so much fun to talk to. Uh, he is with the National Trump, the uh, ncdtrump.com. He's also the uh, pastor and founder of the New Spirit Revival uh, Center. Uh, we also have Lieutenant Colonel Sangari. He is Iranian-born, but he is an American veteran of the U.S. Infantry as well as Special Ops. We've got the author of Postgate, How Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Jeez, I can't even talk today. John O'Connor. And then we're going to end the show with Glenda and Royal White. They are the founders of the Winter Haven 912 Project. Um, around the time the Tea Party started, um, the 912 Project started, uh, Glenn Beck started that project shortly after the Tea Party. And like my Tea Party, they are still in existence, 10 going on 11 years later. So we got a jam-packed show today, a lot of fun, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things to do. want to welcome everyone that is listening in over on Facebook and YouTube, as well as over here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio also. Glad to know that we are now a member of that had no idea, but <laughs> we are. How we did it, I don't know. Uh, but we're, get, we're going to be talking a lot about what's going on today, uh, dealing with these um, defund police uh, movement, as well as taking down the statues, the Black Lives Matter violence that is going on. Uh, it, it's gotten out, absolutely outrageous. Um, Someone sent me a video earlier today of a couple. Woman was pregnant, 
And somehow or other, uh, this woman and her daughter happened to have been black American, uh, got into some sort of a verbal altercation. The black woman accused the pregnant lady of bumping into her daughter. Hey, you're inside a store. It's crowded. People brush into each other. So what? Deal with it. But it escalated into the parking lot where the woman, because the couple was white and they were black, was accusing them of racism. And actually coming close to physically accosting the man and woman, and they're trying to get into their vehicle. They get into the vehicle, and this woman is visibly pregnant, and the woman and her daughter get behind the vehicle to prevent it from pulling out of the parking space. They hit the vehicle, and the woman and her husband just get out and try to defend themselves. They pull their firearms and tell them to back off, repeatedly ask, say, you want to call the police? Call the police. The couple keep on asking, call the police. If you think there's something wrong here, call the police. Instead, the couple get arrested. They have their firearms confiscated. And they are under court order where they cannot commit any sort of action that is considered an assault. This is getting out of hand. It is really, really getting out of hand. So let's see if we got our co-host back in over here in the studio. And Curtis, are you with me now? I don't hear Curtis. Curtis, I cannot hear you if you're speaking. I've got no sound. Can anyone hear Curtis talking? If you can, please let me know in the chat room. If you can't, please also let me know. Because it looks like my co-host has gotten trolled and has gotten knocked out. Curtis, I've got no sound on your end. I don't know, Curtis, what is going on here, but I cannot hear you in the least bit. Can anyone else hear Curtis? And I'm hearing from the chat room that no one can still hear you, Curtis. There's a problem on your end. I don't know if you have... All right. Calling on your cell phone, that would be good. Anyway, uh, while Curtis tries to work that out, those that listen to the show know that we start off each show with a dedication to a fallen hero. So while Curtis tries to call in, I will go ahead with the dedication. And today's dedication is going to go out to uh, Master Sergeants, two of them. Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, and Master Sergeant Louis F. de Leon Figueroa, who were killed in action on August 21st of 2019 while serving during Operation Freedom's Sentinel. And this is from The Fallen from the Military Times. And it reads, Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, died August 21st, 2019, serving during Operation Freedom Sentinel. He was 35 of La Puente, California, during combat in Faryab province, Afghanistan. Also killed in the incident was Master Sergeant Louis F. de Leon Figueroa. Both were assigned to the 7th Special Forces Group at Elgin Air Force Base out of Florida, and both received posthumous promotions. 
The Army has identified two Special Forces soldiers killed in Afghanistan as casualties in the country hit the highest level in five years. Master Sergeant Louis F. D. Leon Figueroa, 31, and Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, 35, were killed during combat operations located in the far northwest of Afghanistan along the border with Turkmenistan. Both soldiers were assigned to the 7th Special Forces Group at Elgin Air Force Base in Florida. It was an honor having served within the ranks of the 7th Special Forces Group. They were part of our family and will not be forgotten, said Colonel John W. Sands, the 7th Group Commander, in a statement. Our priority is now to provide the best possible care to the families of our fallen warriors, Sands added. We ask that you keep their families and teammates in your thoughts and prayers. Gonzalez, a native of La Puente, California, first arrived at the 7th Group's 1st Battalion in 2014. At a request of his family, no photo or additional information was released at that time. Lieutenant Colonel Lauren Beimer, an Army Special Operations Command official, De Leon Figueroa was a native of Chicopee, Massachusetts, who had served more than 13 years in the Army and deployed six times during his career. He deployed as an infantryman to Iraq in 2008 and to Afghanistan in 2010. As a Green Beret, he deployed to South America in 2015 and 2018 and again to Afghanistan in 2018 and 2019. De Leon Figueroa completed the Special Forces Qualification Course and was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 7th Group, in 2014. First as a Special Forces Communications Sergeant, or an 18E, and then as a Special Forces Operations and Intelligence Sergeant, or an 18F. De Leon Figueroa's awards and decorations included the Bronze Star Medal, the Army Commendations Medal with Valor Device, the Afghanistan Campaign Medal with two campaign stars, the Iraq Campaign Medal with one campaign star, and the NATO Medal. During his career, he was a recipient of the Special Forces Tab, Ranger Tab, Combat Infantry Badge, Expert Infantry Man Badge, Military Freefall Jumps Master, Parachutist Badge, Air Assault Badge. The two Green Beret deaths bring the number of U.S. troops killed in action for 2019 to 14, according to Defense Department figures. Another 85 U.S. service members have been wounded so far in 2019. And further from the DailyNews.com. The U.S. Army Special Operations Command, USA SOC, has released more information on the second of two Green Berets with the Elgin Air Force Base headquartered U.S. Army 7th Special Forces Group Airborne, who died in combat operations in Afghanistan on August 21st of 2019. Initially, the family of 35-year-old Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, a native of La Puente, California, had asked that no information other than his name be released to the media. USA SOC Public Affairs issued a news release with additional information about Gonzalez. Gonzalez, who had a 17-year military career, 
had been with the 7th Special Forces Group Airborne since 2014, serving as an engineer sergeant. He had previously deployed to Afghanistan in 2016 and deployed to South America, the 7th Group's primary area of responsibility in 2014 and 2018. Also during his military career, Gonzalez had deployed twice as a Marine in 2003 and 2005 and deployed as an Army Infantry in 2020 to USA SOC News Release. De Leon Figueroa, a native of Chicopee, Massachusetts, served more than 13 years in the Army. The two Greenberg deaths came as the United States and the Taliban, an Islamic fundamentalistic political and military movement, waged war in Afghanistan, and are reported to be closing in on an agreement that would bring home at least some of the 14,000 U.S. troops in that country, where the USA has had a military presence for 18 years. In return, according to media reports, the Taliban would ensure that the terrorist network would not find a safe haven in Afghanistan. Today's show is dedicated to Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, Master Sergeant Louis F. de Leon Figueroa. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into its mighty future. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one. Now I'm challenged 
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Sudden Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, all oh, the heck with it. Just just simply go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Um, your host is the Radio Chickadee, Annie, and hopefully we've got our co-host, <laughs> our, our mysterious co-host, our elusive co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, I think I hear you in the background. Are you with us now? Can, can you hear me now? Uh, we got you finally. <laughs> All right. I don't know Talk what's about, going on, but I guess it's that... Talk about um, messing up a wet dream. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that group up in that secret little room in D.C. that's um, playing around with our technology here. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, Curtis, we got ourselves a bang-up lineup, and I want to welcome everyone that's listening in over on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm hoping it's up on YouTube, uh, also here on <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. But, I mean, I, I tell you, it, 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 there's a troll out there that does not want us broadcasting. I'm telling you that right here and now. Oh, they don't want to. i you that, Curtis. They do not want to. <laughs> Oh man! And you know what? I, I got your email that you sent earlier that you uh, said you were sending out to your liberal relatives, trying to get them to see the light. And honestly, um, I'm going to probably send it over to the Gullah Sentinel and see if they will publish it. it I, be oh, interesting. Me. I put, a, yeah, I'll put a little you know intro to it, or whatever, and uh, see whether or not they actually have the courage to publish it. It'd be very interesting to find out. Yeah, things are getting so out of hand that for the least little offense,
sense. God forbid you look at someone the wrong way. You're, you're being attacked. It is as if it's giving a free-for-all to people with some form of insanity to just run amok lately. I, I, it's, it's outrageous. See, they have this, this false sense that they're in control and everything's going to go their way in November, so they're not even waiting for the elections. They're showing their rear ends right now. And this is the way, you know, it's going to be once, you know, they reclaim power, or so they hope. But my yeah. my goal is to see that this does not happen. So they have given me a lot of material to write about them. So um, I'm not worried about November. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's also gotten to – and here I am in a rural area in South Carolina – and you think the crazies would not get in control. But now it's when you go out into public and you go into a building that has access to the public, it's now mandatory face masks. And um, <laughs> my mom turns 88 tomorrow, 4th of July. And that's her birthday, 4th of July. She'll turn 88. And we got into a rather heated discussion about whether or not face masks should be mandatory and I handed her a printout of nine reasons why face masks can be very unhealthy to people rather than being protective they can actually be very detrimental my husband and I had to run over to Wally World for those people that don't understand Wally World we call that's what we call Walmart and because Walmart fell within a certain jurisdiction, it was mandatory to wear a face mask. Now, I have a heart condition. My husband has a breathing condition. And he was wearing just a single-layer paper mask. But I was watching him as he was walking, and his steps were getting slower and slower. And I realized he was having a hard time breathing. Because of his breathing condition, he was suffering worse than had he been exposed without the face mask on. And with my heart condition, I felt my breathing was being labored and I was having a hard time. I first off, no one can understand what I was saying with the mask on. I couldn't understand what someone else was saying. If you have a hearing condition, if you have a heart condition, if you have a breathing condition, these can be very detrimental to your health. And there's other reasons why also. They're finding that, you know, you're actually increasing the amount of carbon dioxide in your lungs, which increases in your blood level, and that also is dangerous. You're leaving yourself open for a heart attack. So yeah. uh, mandatory face masks are bad. Give me Let me choice. share my I went to, and I think I told you about this, but I went to an allergy clinic a week ago, and I I'm not required to wear a mask in the county that I live in, but in Alachua County, where my appointment was, and that's Gainesville, um, it's a requirement that you wear a mask inside. And I wear a mask inside all medical facilities anyway. But they gave me some kind of oxygen level test where I had to breathe through this open tube. And it took me five tries. I only was supposed to get three. And still, after five tries, my oxygen level was still low. And it never had been low like that ever in my life. So they put me on a nebulizer for about 15, 16 minutes. And then I retook the um, 
the oxygen level test, and my my levels got back to normal. Now, it took me a day to figure out what happened, but I read an article about masks and how they decreased, you know, your level, your intake level of oxygen, and that explained it all for me because I wore a mask 20 minutes before I took that um, that breath test and that oxygen level test, and um, that had to be the culprit. You know, there was no other reason for it. So I'm convinced that wearing that mask will lower your oxygen level. And, and, you know, people say, well, you know, I wear it when I go in the store. It's just a few minutes. But what about those people that are mandated, mandated to wear these things at work for eight hours or more? I feel sorry for them. Yeah. I mean, first off, where in the Constitution does it state that the government has the right to dictate what you can and cannot wear? And if you look at these people out there protesting for Black Lives Matter, I would say 75% of them out there, the only reason why they're wearing a mask is to hide their face. The rest of them aren't. They're they're (laughs) in close quarters. And, oh, my goodness, we've got an increase in the number of COVID-tested people that are testing positive. Well, number one, the availability of the COVID testing is more readily available than it was three months ago. So, yes, the more people you test, the more likely you're going to find someone having been exposed to the virus. Yet, the people that are getting the COVID virus now are finding that the the, um, strength of the viral infection is far lower than it was six months ago. If you had caught it back in January or February, it was a much stronger strain. As it spreads, it it weakens. And the weaker it gets, it's becoming less powerful than the common cold. Do we take a mask and wear a mask to protect ourselves from the common cold? No. Does government have the, the right or the power to mandate that I wear a mask? According to the Constitution, no. Yet they want to give me a criminal penalty because I want yeah. to exercise my constitutional right. Like Obamacare, you get penalized if you don't you don't buy into it. But anyway, I am I am writing a article now about this very subject, the mask, because there are countries that did not you know go through all this and they came through it very well. They didn't shut down the economy and, and you know, they didn't force people to do you know, all these draconian things that we're doing. You know, they focused basically on the people who are vulnerable. And that's what we should have done in the beginning. But we all know that this is um, about, you know, destroying Trump's chances of being reelected. It's about destroying the um, Republican Party and our individual rights and freedoms. You know, the more we allow the government to um, um, eat at our rights and liberties, we're never going to get those back. So we we have to take a stand. You know, and there's people who don't understand that. I had a relative I was talking to about this same subject, and she was saying that one of her council members, you know, decided not to wear a mask, and she said to me. Where does he feel he's got a right not to wear a mask? And I'm thinking it's called the Bill of Rights. 
United States Constitution. Have you ever read it? I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Where does he get the right not to wear a mask? This is this is the mindset we're, we're dealing with. Where do they get the right to mandate that we must wear it? But I think we may have our guest caller in. Um, if this is Pastor Scott, if he can press one on his keypad, and then I know that he is the one that is in my studio because I see several different numbers, and I want to just make sure I'm going to click on the correct one. If he can press one on his keypad, because I do believe this is him. Okay. Well, I'll just bring the caller in anyway. All right. Let's if my little finger works here. Oh, good afternoon. This is Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie. And to whom am I speaking? Hello, Annie. This is Joe Coleman. How are you doing? Hi, Joe. How are you doing? All okay. right. Uh, yeah, we're, we're having a similar argument down here. Uh, one of the candidates that are running for CD22, uh, Josie Melton, did a whole thing on the mask and stuff. And, uh, she says that it's unconstitutional and we shouldn't mandate it and people are getting sick more from the mask than actually uh than actually protecting itself. And she says uh ninety nine percent of the time it's not helping anything. Because we're not even wearing the no, proper it's not. mask. And well, the other thing Joe, is with I've, social I've, distancing. I've a, yeah, well hang on a second, I've got nine reasons why the masks are bad, but I want to make a, a personal observation because yesterday we were, my husband and I were checking out in Wally World and they, they have on the floor, you know, the six foot distancing, you know, stand here and then yeah. advance when the person advances. The family behind me were all wearing masks. My husband and I masked because that was what the, 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 the store wanted you to do. So I respect their policy even though I may not agree with it, you know, if I want to shop in that store, that that becomes my choice. But the family, the kids, were within within three feet of me, and I looked at them and I said, "Would you please be kind enough to recognize social distancing?" They looked at me as if I really cursed them out at the top of my voice, and I said, "Really? It's six feet. This is not six feet. Do you understand six feet?" And it was as if I just committed the most horrendous social sin possible. But so for some reason, people seem to feel if they wear the mask, they can violate the social distancing. But isn't the point that you're supposed to do two things? But then again, I can understand social distancing. I accept, I accept that. But mandatory masks are wrong. You know, first off, wearing a mask reduces the blood oxygenation, especially in people over the age of 35. And if you wear these for a long period of time, say, for example, eight hours, it places you in a dangerous condition where you can feel uh, fatigue. Exactly. uh, Deterioration of judgment and performances, mental and physical performances decrease moisture underneath the mask, which increases the amount of germs that you're susceptible to in your body. Uh, It also increases the carbon dioxide levels in your thing, especially the N95 respirator. It decreases to up to 17%. It it also causes more headaches. And you get what they call brain fog, difficulty in concentrating and exhaustion. And now you get a mask. There's, How yeah, do you know where an it's, made? Of, it's made? Here? Well, that's true. The other thing is that there's, there's an increase of lung, uh, fungus lung uh, disease. 
and it's mm-hmm. and it's, and it's making and it's running wild throughout the hospitals around the country, and to the point that now the as the doctors are pleading, do not wear the mask, uh, do not wear it's 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 safer to just do your social distancing than wear the mask because you're getting you're getting more people now coming into the hospital not from the virus but from lung diseases because of the mask, and, and it's counterproductive. And and uh, and uh, you know, and people are coming around like sheep without questioning things. And we're actually in the last few months, we actually became a social slash communist nation because we're now being dictated by the government than the other way around. Well, another thing people don't realize is that your body has certain ways in which it detoxifies. The main one being is your ability to exhale, to expel viruses and other toxins that are in your body through your nose you cover that nose and you prevent that from being fully exhaled you're re-inhaling those viruses and those toxins which is why you're seeing a higher level of respiratory infections I'm sorry, people can turn around and argue for the masks but if you don't have a sanitary mask and you're wearing a mask for a long period of time Whatever's caught in that material is going back into your body. Now, if someone sneezes on you, eventually whatever they sneezed on you is going to work its way through that material. I don't care if you've got three or four layers of material. And the more layers you have, the more you're going to keep those toxins in your body and not ex- exhaling them. Yeah, it, it, it is insanity. It's sheer insanity. Now, if I have a surgeon that's going to go work on me, yeah, I want to see the surgical staff wearing masks. I want to make sure I'm not going to get an infection because I'm going to be wide open. But that's something that's only on there for a short period of time. And once it comes off, it's discarded. But how many times do people reuse that same mask over and over and over again? Everybody uses it over and over. Everybody uses it over and over again. That's as I, I, you know, we all, they all do it. You know, uh, you know how many masks are going to be? And in the beginning, they were trying to normally for mask anyway. You know, now, now they just give it away. But still, uh, it's it's crazy because people are getting sick after coming home from wearing the mask and going to the store. It takes me a couple hours before everything gets because you breathe. You got to exhale all the stuff that you are breathing back in. And and people currently hit more people coughing stuff like that after the mask as well for the house. No, what's what's even worse is that if you try to talk to someone while you're wearing a mask, if that person has special needs, they need to see your face to understand what you're saying. Uh, they're hard of hearing, or they have a speech impediment. You cannot understand what that you individual is saying. You cannot hear them. So what do yeah, they do? They pull the, the mask, mask away from their face. And how many people do you see wearing the mask only over their mouth and not their nose? What's the a point? A lot, because they can't breathe. Because they can't breathe otherwise. And if you're in the store for a period of time, they're all doing it. And and, and the supermarkets down here, they'll go in. In fact, they they don't even have to mask signs anymore. But they we all do it anyway. And uh, and people, uh, by the time you get to the register, most of the masks go over the nose anyway. Absolutely. It, it, it's crazy. Absolutely. You know, 
but uh, it's becoming a political hot potato, and you got you got a a guy who's well, he's really jealous because he lost last time around, going after people. Jesse Melton, who's running for six for uh, CD twenty two, she's actually been pretty good, and she's energetic. You sing them all. She just picked up Rand Paul's endorsement. And she's on the way. Uh, she did over 100000 last quarter, raising funds. Uh, that's uh, an item to look at down here. Also, of course, Laura Luma, which is almost a million and a half funds raised. And she's now ahead of uh, everyone, including uh, Laura Stranko in monies. So those well, are two areas yeah. down here. Well, if you want to send me that information, and then we can see if we can book them onto the show to give them a little bit more extra exposure, I'd appreciate that. You you got my number and email. You know, just drop yeah, me a, a little line here. <laughs> okay, anytime. Anytime. I have uh, merged with Wayne Clark for sheriff because uh, uh, the two of us really combined all along, and uh, he has a better shot uh, because of his age, among other things. Me, 60, I'm 65, and he's a young whippersnapper, so it's easy for him. But we're both <laughs> working together, and uh, and uh, we are doing that. And uh, I've been working with Darren uh, Aquino, which you should know, and uh, Mike uh, Sylvester, uh, uh, I can't think of his last name right now. But we all came from the same Brooklyn NYPD stuff. <laughs> so, oh, so we're all in the same the area. Don't even tell. Yeah, well, we're all in the same boat, and uh, Darren's working on a case I'm working with, and he's doing good. He was on uh, a friend's show. Hey, uh, we got Lee Greenwood on Wednesday on my show. Okay, great. Oh, tell people where they and, can find uh, you, and Joseph. I got, and, I, sure. and, and I got taught. I got taught. I had taught uh, taught Alan Harrendon, uh last week. Oh, I've been meaning to call Todd. Oh, if you talk he's to him, doing, just tell him I apologize. I've been so swamped. He's been busy. We got, we're trying to get him to come down here on, on three areas to try and do show. He has a club up in Panama City that's really doing good, and he's not affected by the virus or any kind. Excellent. Excellent. I really do have to pick up the phone and call him. But you notice, Joe, that the the – Crisis always ramps up around a holiday. It ramped up around Easter. They took Easter away from us, and now they're taking Fourth of July away from us. They've ramped up the rhetoric. They've ramped up the the desperation around it. So now we don't have Fourth of July fireworks, no Fourth of July picnics or gatherings, no parades. They took Easter. Uh, They're taking Fourth of July. Trump's Trump's, 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 uh, rally this evening in Mount Rushmore. Uh, he's over there, and uh, we're down here, and even though the beaches are closed, we're still going to be at the beaches because uh, we have our organizations, and they're going to go. I heard there's several thousand people going to just go to the beach anyway, and if the mayor's over in uh, in Broward, like uh, um, Mayor Dean and others, if they, if they try anything, uh, they're not going to be too happy because we're standing up. Same thing happened with Los Alamos when they tried to close that. They stood up. And they kept it open anyway. So we're, we're fighting back. Well, it, 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 this is what we have to do. We do have to fight back. You know, the more they cluster us, the more they shut our voices up. And that's what they're afraid yeah. of, that if we do and gather we need, together. We, we, we need to be like that couple so, in St. Louis. 
Oh, the ones that came out and defended their property? Yeah, of course. They were right. They followed the Constitution. They actually followed the Second Amendment. They did nothing wrong, but uh, the, the, uh, the radical attorney over there is trying to cause problems for them. Well, we'll see. We, we've got several different gun groups out there that I'm sure are willing and able to come to their defense. There's uh, sure. the National and Gun Rights Association, Gun Owners of America, the National Rights Association. Yeah. Yes. So and, I'm sure yeah, that... And now, and, now, and now today with the Redskins, we've got to stop that too. Yeah. What I'm seeing, especially... I do watch Fox News, but I, sometimes I just feel like I, I need a barf bag because they're bringing <laughs> apologists on. And, you know, uh, I didn't I didn't realize that using the name Redskins was going to be racially offensive. How long have the Redskins had that name? And it, it just so, occurred to you today. And, and the thing the Redskins would know is uh, the uh, wind talkers. They were dedicated to the wind talkers in World War II. That's where the name really came from. And uh, they had, and, and it was developed by the Indians themselves as an honor to the Indians. So, you know, wait a the American Indian named the football team to honor themselves, so now it becomes racially insulting. Same thing with Antimara pancakes. <laughs> okay. Would someone just explain you know, that That's to another me? one. There was a bunch of actresses uh, that, uh, and they've come together to honor the community and their recipes, and they used it. There wasn't no racial tendencies anywhere. Same thing with Gone with the Wind, all that stuff. Yeah. It, it, we, we've got social... Uh, Political correctness that has run completely amok. And my co-host is sitting quietly in the background. I know you have an opinion, Curtis. Did we lose Curtis again? Um, you, you, by lose? the way, we have, problem, we have problems with our show on Block Talk, and my friend Mike Essen had problems with his show, too. Oh, wait. So they're, well, they're going Curtis after all the conservatives. Well, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, because I did an interview with Gordon Chang, and when I tried to upload it and everything, it disappeared. So I, I, every yeah. time I do something with China, it it, it it all goes bad. I had a gentleman on talking about the Fulongang and the yeah. concentration camps in China, and twice his phone call got cut off. So anything I do with China... Definitely, it interferes. But I think it's even getting worse now the closer we get to the election. But, Curtis, if you can yeah. hear me, try calling back in again because, Curtis, I cannot hear anything you are saying. Uh, Facebook is giving everybody troubles again. Uh, Laura Loma is uh, in the process of filing a big lawsuit against them. Uh, you know, she always got problems with Twitter, using a different handle. And we're going to Paula. Where everybody's in, and so we're all moving around. But at the uh, social media networks are trying—they're trying to control the narrative because one of the major areas that Trump won was 
back in 2016, he used social media uh, platforms to uh, expand his rights and bypass the actual media. And he and he got his message out, and that's, that's how he won. And he's doing it again, but they're trying to give him fits, but he has his own power to get rid of that. All right, well, let's see if I got my co-host back again. Curtis, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I dropped out for some reason. <laughs> they don't like now, you right? today, Curtis. We we got you, sweetheart. Oh, they, they, they do not like you. Now we should have had Pastor Daryl Scott call in, and for whatever reason, uh, he hasn't been able to. And I know he's got another interview in two more minutes. So I, unfortunately, we don't have Pastor Daryl Scott. <clears throat> but I have to get a hold of Gabriella and ask her, you know, what happened there. Uh, because one of the things I wanted to talk about with him is, uh, Joe, have, if you've noticed that despite the fact that we're in the midst of this pandemic and this crisis and everything else, the economy added 4.8 million jobs in June alone, and the unemployment rate fell from over 14% down to 11.1%. So Isn't that amazing? even with a, a crisis going on, Trump is still keeping the economy going. Uh, you have three million jobs he, have been added in just the past two months. Right. He he actually built a foundation when he made America great again with the economic boom uh, that went up until the virus started. Uh, is a great foundation that was built. So we have a, a level that we can, like the security level. So no matter what happened, we already have the mechanisms in place to rebound fast. And and between the regulations that have been cut and the tax cuts and the incentive, we everything kept running back, which is what's wait to wait till hap wait till the August report for, Ju- for July, the July report coming out in August, you'll see even more. It'll be closer by the time we get to September, you'll be almost at where we were before the virus. Well, you know what I feel. What's that, Curtis? I just feel like I just feel like um, Trump needs to accentuate the point that, hey, look how good the markets are doing with everything that's going against us. Now, what if we just got all this stuff out the way? Just think, you know, how far this economy could go. And I think he should be pushing that thing. He 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 is in a way uh, because he said that when he does talks about quarters. Said the second quarter, everybody knows what's going to happen. The third quarter is improving, which we are. By the fourth quarter, it's really been going. And by next year, as long as we win the election, you're going to have a fantastic year because you don't want a president that's going to increase regulations and, and raise taxes to where we were before the boom. You're going to end up having a halt. And you see the market go from 30 down by the time we get to election day to all the way down to under 10. If by the know, The Liberty Council, <laughs> excuse me, sent out a 14-page list of accomplishments of President Trump. I'm not going to go over all 14 pages, but Joe, you mentioned hmm. one of these, which was extremely important, was rolling back the red tape. He exceeded on his province to roll back two regulations for every new one. It's more like now about five to six regulations being rolled back to any new one. He signed 16 Congressional Review Act resolutions into law 
eliminating burdensome Obama-era regulations and rules. Um, let's see, let's highlight another one that he's gone into. Uh, he negotiated better deals for the American people, American first. The USMCA goes into effect this month. Uh, you're going to see it went, jobs it went back actually, to America. It actually went, actually went into effect July 1st. That's why I said this month. Um, yeah. He unleashed American energy. We are now an energy exporter. We were an importer, but now we are exporting our oil and coal to other countries where we used to have to import it. It's at its record high for that one. Um, we have where he is expanding the options for affordable health care, uh, where it's now 50% cheaper than it was under Obamacare. He's expanded association plans, allowing more employers to go across state lines, which is something that I advocated for back in 2009, tort reform, uh, making it portable, making it available across state lines. So if I find that a plan in Utah is better and covers me better and more affordable than a plan here in my home state, I could purchase it. He's done that. Uh, These are all things that we asked for back in 2009. He's gone after the opioid crisis. He yeah. has the landmark support for Patients and Communities Act that he's instituted. He's worked to cut off the flow of the opioids across the border, especially coming in from Mexico. You notice, Joe, that ever since this crisis hit, we don't hear anything about open borders anymore. Suddenly, we're no. all closed in, stay at home, but you don't hear about open borders anymore. Suddenly they think they kind of got quiet on that issue. Um, He's standing up for the sanctity of life, for the life of the pre-born child. He's the first president ever to go up in front of the March for Life and address the crowd. The only president. You would think Ronald Reagan would have done that? No. Trump is the first president to have done that. He's blocking $9 billion in aid and funding to abortions internationally that we used to give. He's cut that off. He's defunded the United Nations uh, program for abortion, forced abortion and sterilization. Um, He's excluded family planning providers from uh, providing abortion under Medicaid. He's gone so much, so much for pro-life. And now he's working on keeping American communities safe, where violent crime decreased under his watch in 2017 for two consecutive years. Um, He's going after the MS-13 gang, laboring them as a terrorist group. He's done the First Step Act, which has done prison reform and common sense sentencing reforms. Um, He's going for protecting the innocent from human trafficking. And there are five acts he has uh, signed, one executive order, and one grant to help protect people from human trafficking. He's been enforcing our laws and securing our borders. And I, I can go on and on and on what this president yeah. has done. He's rebuilt as our military. As, he's protected yeah. our as veterans. As, yeah, he's very, uh, again, he's, uh, and the Space Force and all the other stuff, which is important. And here in Florida, Space Force is very big. Uh, we also have a big opioid problem that he actually helped uh, a lot, but we still have problems. Uh, in uh, South Florida alone, uh, every uh, every two hours, another person dies from uh, from drug overdose. And, 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 so, and 582, I think it is, 
people died in Broward County last year from uh, addiction. And so we still got that problem, uh, and they're working on that. As far as uh, the um, uh, he's uh, actually helped in recoveries for addicts. Uh, he has the uh, addiction website they made with uh, Kellyanne Conway and those uh, that actually gives you resources for people who are lucky to get healthy again, and parents, family members, and friends. Uh, he's done that. Uh, he's uh, also been working in helping uh, people uh, to expand in groups like down here with NOVA for uh, mental and health, mental health as well as uh, addiction services. And he's helped people I know and tried to help people I know. And uh, he's in the process of doing a lot of stuff. So this this guy, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, has done more in in less than four years than any president in my lifetime, and like I said, I was 65 years old, and uh, I think he's probably one of the best, if not the best president ever, based on what his accomplishments are. And and this is done with all the all these people going after him since before uh, going down that escalator. Yeah, they keep on saying, you know, what has he done? What has he done? You know, he may sometimes tout his toot his own horn, but he doesn't tell people one-tenth of what he's accomplished. He's done a lot of this very quietly, very much on the side. But it's people mm-hmm. like you that see the full effect of what he has done. You, you and I have had the conversation where you've had someone in your, in your life that has had the drug addiction problems. So you've seen firsthand, firsthand and the cost of and what it is and he's to helping, families and, he's still and friends. Helping and he's still helping them. And how many millions more is he helping without people realizing a lot, a that lot. he's the I, I see him because, because of the people that I work with and I've been fighting with and trying to do, he has helped a lot of people behind the scenes. Getting to, you know, Actually, if you meet him, he's like a grandfather. This guy, you know, he, he has a very big heart and very warm, and he actually... Uh, his whole administration in in, in the circle uh, and family, they're all the same way. And uh, and they are nothing what they're saying, they're taxing them or anything else. They're, they're totally opposite. This guy, if he was the president of the United States, would be somebody's great, a great grandfather or grandfather and be, you know, and, 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 and that's the type of person. He loves life and he loves children and he loves the people and he loves this country and it shows every single day and especially after all the attacks and everything else he is there and he loves and he works 22 hours 24 hours a day you can't keep up with him well you know you, know, you and i both are former new yorkers and you know we grew up we lived listening to trump this trump that trump this trump that and the first time he really came into my uh, zone of, of, of paying attention, you know, and, and of course the media really treated him with extreme disdain from day one, from day one. But if you remember Rockefeller ice rink, the ice rink at Rockefeller yeah. center, my, my best uh-huh. friend and I, every, every Thanksgiving holiday, we would go down to Rockefeller center and go skating. 
And then the ice rink fell into extreme disrepair. And they had contractor after contractor come in and try to repair it. So for a number of years, the ice rink was, was down and out. This man came in and in a matter of months did what these contractors could not do over a five-year period. He got it up. He got it running. He got it profitable. And he had it in better shape than it had ever been before. He improved it. He could do that project after project after project. And he did it at less, at half the cost. I think it was close to half the cost of what it was originally proposed to be repaired at. That's the type of man he was. And that made me stand up and and start to pay attention to who this gentleman was. Um, I heard him touting, you know, different little attempts at, you know, stepping into the political forum. And back then you didn't know if he was a Republican or a Democrat because he gave to both sides. You know, he's a businessman and he he, wants to grease the wheels, but he gave to both. Yeah, yeah, right. And he, he never knew, also really got, knew where he stood. You gotta remember, he also saved a ton of money when we with the uh, the embassy in Jerusalem. He keeps talking. He talks about the story, saved millions off the cost, and it's a better embassy. Mm-hmm. He actually turned around and said, "Listen, the UN building is in extreme disrepair. We all know that, and the UN just right. sucks money out of the taxpayers here." And we give 25% of the budget to them. And he said, listen, let me take over the repairs on the building. I can do it under budget and get you up and running. And matter of fact, if you want to kick the U.N. out of the United States, like people are calling for, I'll take over the building and I'll turn it into profitable condominiums. And it will be not an eyesore any longer. It will be a mark of beauty for the city of New York. That's the way the man thinks. So now we see him as mm-hmm. president. We actually see his true character. But if, if, if you were a New Yorker and if you truly, truly, truly knew the man, you heard stories that the media didn't tell you. For example, the couple on there just got married. The limo broke down on the side of the highway. His limo happened to have been passing. He stopped. He had helped them get the car repaired and back on the road. Or the certain actress who had a death in her family and the media was hounding her. He helped her go into seclusion so her family can heal and mourn without the media in their face. The little things he's done for people quietly to help them. If you see someone in trouble, how he stepped up and just said, yeah, I'll give you a helping hand. No problem. I'm not asking anything for a return. That is who the man is. And you hear from people that know him personally, one-on-one, the same stories, how he'll sit down, he'll listen, talk to me, tell me about yourself. He doesn't talk to them about himself. He says, tell me about you. I want to know you. That is who this man is. Going back to what you were saying about saving money, one thing Trump um, knows is about airplanes because he had his own airplane, private airplane. So he was able to save us a lot of money on Air Force One renovations because, in fact, he had a knowledge of what it cost to run an airplane. And that's something I doubt that Obama could have done but because Trump was a businessman and he knew about, you know, that particular subject. He was able to, you know, save taxpayers a lot of money 
and we know about government waste. But you rarely hear about these things as you were saying. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I think I do have to call in our next guest, Curtis. Curtis, are you able to call out from the studio, or or do I need to do this? Yeah, you can do it because they wouldn't be able to. I I have no way of doing it other than um, disconnecting this line and calling it. Since I'm not, right. you know, so, connected to the Annie, I got Joe, I'm going to ask you to hang out a little bit. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you to hang out a little bit and uh, converse with uh, Curtis while I bring our next guest in on the line. Okay, if that'll you don't be mind. fine. Then I got, yeah, that's fine. And then I'll, I'll say, so I got to leave. I got to go back to work. But I'll hang out for a few more minutes. <laughs> okay, okay, hang on. Curtis, you, okay. you and Joe, go ahead. Okay. Right. No, you're right. You know what? Uh, he was deployed with Air Force One, uh, big and beautiful and better and more efficient. Uh, he saved a ton of money with that. He got deals going uh, with a lot of different ways. He knows how if we go, go back to the tariffs and, and China, he got before the virus, China actually is buying goods from us like wheat to, and, that, and, and actually help the farmers. And and uh, and he's and also uh, got NATO to pay more of its fair share, to, so we don't have to pay more out to cover them. So he, oh, yeah. he's really is he knows how to handle the finances, and he and he does he knows the game because who he is, and and he used that knowledge to stop it was because this country was getting shafted uh, by every country, not anymore. Well, that's why we got rid of NAFTA, you know, because being a businessman, he knew we got a raw deal, and he was able to um, negotiate a new deal. And I think that went into effect the other day, the United States-Mexican-Canadian um, agreement. So he's he's been, you know, a very, you know, um, enlightening president, you know, and I, I hate the fact that the left always, makes him out to be uh, a doofus, you know, somebody that's stupid and don't know what he's doing. You don't, you know, you don't build an empire as he has being stupid, you know. And like I said, I tell anybody on the left that Obama never ran a business, not even a Kool-Aid stand. So what does he know about running the country? You know, what are you doing he wanted to fundamentally until he changed his country in the way he did. He's one of the major reasons why there's a big division uh, he, in, in this country right now because Obama always took the, the certain people first without getting the information. And 99.9% of fact, it's 100% he was wrong all the way through. And he, his hatred towards law enforcement in this country, it was apparent. And it was showing, and he he asked, he he went and caused the divide, and now that divide is even bigger uh, because he's manipulating him and George Soros and stuff. That's manipulating the Black Lives Matter, which is a which is a now a confessed known Marxist group has nothing to do with Black Lives, and and uh, Antifa all part of the same thing, paid for by George Soros and company. And, and Joe, they admitted that. Joe, uh, for people, 
Yeah, I'm back. Um, people that if they want to listen to your show, tell them where they can find you. Okay, Block Talk Radio. Uh, it's the truth is out there, voice of the people. We're on every Wednesday and Sunday evenings from 7 to 8. Uh, this Sunday we're doing a holiday special, uh, mostly music and call-ins and stuff like that. Next Wednesday we got uh, Lee Greenwood on, big hit, and uh, I'll be the key may call-in. And we might have a surprise call-in, a friend of Lee Greenwood's. And, Fantastic uh, so joke. Let's put it this way. Yeah, just put it this way. He, this guy walks on the stage with his song. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you for thank you for hanging out with us, right. Joe. And you have a Anytime. blessed weekend. And Any, the fourth. Have a great the fourth. show. Thank you. <laughs> have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Let's welcome welcome back onto the show. He is the founder of the Central Park South Civic Association, Michael Fisher. Good afternoon, Michael. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and um, happy Fourth uh, of July, almost. Yeah, Fourth of July. My mom turns eighty-eight tomorrow, <laughs> so we got a God double bless celebration. Her. God bless her. <laughs> yes, you do for sure. Well, you know, you're always fun to talk with. I always have so much fun. And I love having you on. There is so much to start to talk about. I don't even know where. It seems as if the world has gone insane over the last several months you know we've got the seattle chops or chaz or whatever you want to call it and it it goes on and on for weeks on end and it doesn't get settled until lo and behold they show up at the mayor's front door gee it's amazing how that got settled real fast well you know i mean i think that the mayor is just um you know is frightened about the whole thing it's it seems to be the way of all these cities, all these, I mean, all these very liberal cities where these politicians are just afraid to act or do anything or say anything. So they, they kind of look the other way until things get so bad or, or until they actually right appear right outside their door. Then suddenly they get scared and then they realize they have to do something. Oh, but, but, but we got to defund the police. So, you know, we got to get rid of the police. Well, you know, Right. Me personally, I mean, if I had the ability to just go in and say, you know, just cut a billion dollars off and like within 24 hours, I cut a billion dollars off. That's pretty good influence. But I will tell you that, you know, what I'm seeing about this whole billion dollar thing that they're cutting off is typical of politicians. The politicians are playing, from what I can see, smoke and mirrors, you know, with the protesters. I mean, they're, they're saying, they say, well, we're going to cut a billion dollars off. Then all of a sudden you take a look at it all. I mean, they were, I guess they were taking the cross, all the crossing guards off and giving it to a different department. Now it looks like New York police are actually going to be handling it again. And so when you start looking at everything, it's probably not exactly what they say they're going to do. And what, what I think is pretty sad about that is, you know what, if you're going to tell people you're going to cut a billion dollars off, then cut a billion dollars off. Otherwise, don't make promises you can't keep. That makes things even worse. That creates even more anger out there when you, when you lie to people and tell them you're going to do one thing and you do another. You know, I, I've been following a little bit hazy because the news doesn't always give you the truth when you're trying to watch it, even if you are watching Fox News. You're not going to get 100% of what's going on. But as I understand, there's an Occupy City Hall in New York City. And mm-hmm. what is de Blasio doing about that, if he's doing anything? Nothing. I think he's just allowing, you know, pretty much it to, to take place. I think he's just, I think, 
de Blasio, like a lot of these politicians, you know, they're they're reactive when things get so bad, just like the, the mayor out in Seattle that you have to do something. So I think he's just going to sit tight until things get so bad that he has to do something. That's just the way they operate. I, I guess then I have to march on Gracie Mansion. For those who don't know what Gracie Mansion is, that is the home of the mayor, the city hall where he occupies his office, but there's Gracie Mansion, which is his home. Just like the White House is for the president, the Gracie Mansion is for the mayor of New York. I'm wondering, what is he going to do when they start knocking on the door and breaking in the windows of Gracie Mansion? Is he going to do a Seattle mayor flip-flop? Well, I mean, you could put it in another way. Uh, if they start doing that, I guarantee you he'll be calling in the police to help him out and all of his guards that he has. I mean, he's got quite a few security guards, so he's not going to let that happen. Now, to knock on your door or my door and we want to ask for help, we probably wouldn't get any help. But in that case, you know, he'll probably make sure he takes care of himself. He's a hypocrite. That's the problem. You oh, know, absolutely. What's good for him is not good for other people. It's only what's good for him. Matter of fact, you just reminded me, I have a clip here that I want to play. It was a commercial that played on TV last night, and I loved it so much, I actually found where it's up on YouTube. So let me play this this clip. It's uh, a defund police protest request protection. Hang on a second. So I come in this morning, and we're informed there's going to be a protest to um, defund the police. Well, that's fine. I like protests, except for they requested a police presence, you know, for their safety at the defund police event. (sighs) I should not. That was from Turning Point USA. Uh, That was that (laughs) I love. But this one is a Trump campaign. commercial. Let me play this one. You have reached the 911 police emergency line. Due to defunding of the police department, we're sorry, but no one is here to take your call. If you're calling to report a rape, please press 1. To report a murder, press 2. To report a home invasion, press 3. For all other crimes, leave your name and number, and someone will get back to you. Our estimated wait time is currently 5 days. Goodbye. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Is that not fantastic? <laughs> That's just a great commercial. But it's, it's, it's really very true. I mean, the, the thing that I, I can't figure out about politicians, it's like, okay, so everybody demands the funding, and within 24 hours they're already defunding it without doing any kind of studies or anything. You know, it just it just doesn't make any sense there, you know? But yet when that guy, you know, murdered in Minneapolis, murdered that, that poor guy, you know, and, and suffocated him, it took them a, a long time to, to indict the guy. I mean, that should have been done like in 24 hours because I think it had they done that, if they worked smart, we probably wouldn't be in such a bad situation that we're in, in my opinion. People were frustrated that it was taking so long. I mean, they had video of the guy choking him, which is really just absolutely disgusting. And they could have arrested him on the spot, and they could have indicted him on the spot. And I think people would have been a little bit more relaxed about things. We, politicians you know, create most of the problems. 
Well, there's an old saying that a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. You know, this was something that was so blatant. As a former police officer, the second I saw that, the first thing I, I shouted out was why the other officers did not intervene, pull him off the guy. Mm. The guy was already in cuffs. He was on the ground. Why didn't they pull him off? Why didn't they stop what was happening? Which means that tells me for that specific department, there is a systemic disease in it. So you got to look from the top down, not just you know what. Anytime you have like large crowds, anytime you have large crowds, mm-hmm. of, you know, let's say four, or five, maybe four or five people, okay, watching something like that, everybody's looking at the other person to do something, so nobody does anything, right? That's usually what that's usually what happens in those situations. And if you had maybe if there was one police officer there, or maybe two at the most, maybe something would have been done. But like I think they were frightened because there were, there were other people there from the police department, and they were afraid to do anything about it. I know myself, I, you know, I'm the kind of person, like, if somebody's stuck on the road, I, I help them, you know what I mean? If there's a problem, you know, if, I remember some guy was drunk, and he was beating up his girlfriend. I mean, like, everybody, there were, like, tons of people sitting in a restaurant, okay, just watching it. I'm, I'm of course, the idiot that actually goes out and tries to do something about it. That's just the way I am. But if I was, if I was there, I would have done something. I, wouldn't, I just never would have let that go on like that because it's just, it was just, it was blatantly wrong. I was, he was killing the guy right in front of us, and the guy wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't like the guy was a danger to him or anything. He was outright murdering the guy. It's disgusting. So, yeah, those, and, and you know what, what's sad is that, I was going to say, what's sad is that now all of a sudden, you know, everybody in the police force is now blacklisted. They're, they're all of a sudden, they're all bad. And that shouldn't be either. I mean, you know, 99% of the police, they're great people. You know, you're always going to get a bad apple in any, in any business. You're going to get bad apples on the radio. You're going to get bad apples, you know, uh, in any situation out there. It is what it is. It's reality. But, I mean, it doesn't mean everybody's well, bad. It just – go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. Statistically, it, statistically, it has been proven statistically less than 1% of law enforcement officers will prove to be bad, corrupt or violent or whatever. Less than 1%. But if you go into any occupation outside of law enforcement, those numbers are much higher. In some cases, as much as 30%, depending upon which industry or your uh, or, Yeah, let's, uh, let's, look, at, let's look at the employment industry. Let's, hiring. Let's look at companies that hire people. Quite a bit more discrimination goes on there. You know, blatant discrimination and you know, racism goes on there where maybe a company doesn't hire somebody because of the, the color of their skin or nationality or religion. So, you know, that, that goes on more there. I think the police are, tend to be more ultra-conservative, you know, in terms of what they're, they're afraid to do things because they don't want these situations to occur. And um, but, so. But it, it, it sells media. It sells media spots, yeah. whether it's newspaper, ad spots, whatever. But if you run with something like this, the public eats it up and believes what the media feeds them instead of seeing what the actual truth is. So if you notice these stories are all slanted, they're, they're, you're no longer getting journalism. You're getting a and put forward as journalism. And it, it, it really sickens me because I'm one of those old-fashioned people, I like to feel the newspaper in my hand, and I like to sit down every day and read the newspaper and do the puzzles. 
but it got to the point where I can't even read the articles anymore because they're no longer pure news, no longer pure facts. It's all opinion. And it's the way they couch it that people just eat it up as if it's the God-given truth. They're trying to manipulate people to do things a certain way, like the New York Times. Look, I used to read the New York Times all the time. You know, I used to get it for the real estate section, the sports section, and so on and so forth. I can't even, I can't even get the New York Times anymore because you can't depend, count on them for accurate news reporting. All, all pe- people deserve to, to have the news accurately reported to them, and that's the way it should be. And it shouldn't be where they – what's happening a lot now with a lot of these newspapers, and I would say a lot of the left-wing papers, like the New York Times, um, is that they're intentionally leaving out stories that um, they feel are going to, you know, negatively impact the goals that they want to accomplish out there. You know, for example, Trump. I mean, they don't want Trump elected, reelected, so they're going to eliminate putting any stories in there that potentially make him look good which is very, very poor reporting. I mean, when, they, when the unemployment numbers, you know, uh, went down, there was a lot more people that were four or five million people that actually got, you know, were able to get their jobs back and everything. I mean, that should have been the headlines in every single newspaper, every single media outlet out there, but it makes them look good, so they're not going to do it. I and mean, that's not fair to the people that count on getting accurate news every day. That's, that's, that's wrong. And, um, you know, no. I, I just – go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's all right. You know, it, this is what we're being fed. We're being, being fed propaganda, and we're accepting that propaganda as truth. And unfortunately, we no longer have critical thinking out there. Very few of us actually do critical thinking. Where we look at a, a situation, try to see what the opposite side is, compare it, and then make our own decisions. Instead, we're allowing them to feed us this pablum, and then they regurgitate it as if it is God's truth. And unfortunately, it's a, a, the fault of our uh, media. It's the fault of our education system. And unfortunately, with the growth of social media, it just is it just mushrooming into a huge mess for us, which puts us in the situation we have now. You know, we've gotten to the point where now they're putting into effect anti-policing laws. Uh, that will handcuff the police officers in such a manner. And New York State has done this. As a matter of fact, since I get the PBA magazine, um, Patty Lynch, God bless for the hard work he does. Mm-hmm. I, I love that man. Yeah. I, I, Patty yeah. is, is a friend of mine. Um, he put he's it out guy. and broke it I mean, down. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but DeRoy Murdoch put out an editorial uh, based upon what the uh, president of the lieutenant's union put out and this is what they're doing to cops it's now a game of setup so that a, a citizen can turn around call 911 have an officer respond and no matter what that officer does they're gonna get in trouble no matter how follow the rules no matter what they do it's a huge game of setup and at the end a payoff for the person that called 911 they're going to respond to minor offenses or quality of life complaints, we call them. The officers then are going to in, engage with the individuals, supposedly the perpetrator, committing the offense. They're going to be now emboldened as a result of this to videotape. They're going to have someone there to video, get the camera phone out, and start filming. If the offense leads to arrest, the district attorney is most likely to decline to prosecute because it's a quality of life complaint 
And the new regime under de Blasio doesn't want to do quality of life complaints. Then there's going to be a phantom injury. With the phantom injury, there's going to be a civilian complaint. The officer will not be indemnified under the new laws. So in other words, that officer can lose his job, Mm -hmm. his or her job. They will lose their home if they own it. And they can be sued for any amount of money. And then the city will turn around and settle rather than go into court. So it's an automatic paycheck. So, all right, mm, I've got a noise complaint against my neighbor. Now you go and confront my neighbor about the noise complaint. I'm going to videotape you. There will be a confrontation. There will be a supposed injury. There will be a civilian complaint. There will be a lawsuit. And ka-ching, 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 $5 million later, I'm sitting rich. Well, you know, if we're going to do that to the police, we may as well do that to the mayor when, or when people want to sue the city. That Right now, the city, you know, if you try to sue the city, you can't, like, you can't sue them like you would sue somebody else personally, right? So maybe they need to change those laws. Maybe we need to change the laws where Congress people and assembly people, uh, senators, uh, can also be sued when they say things that are slanderous. Right now, they're not held responsible when they say things that are lies and untrue. So maybe we should start changing it for everybody. If you're going to do it for the police, you may as well do it for everybody, right? That would be the fair thing to do. Why, should, why are the police the ones that are, you know, the only ones getting this? Do it, do it for all of them. Of course, they, all of a sudden, if you bring that up, forget about it. They'll never accept that. But it's oh, disgusting. Gee, what they're doing that... to the police is – go ahead. I was going to say, do you mean that at that point – we could turn around and hold de Blasio civilly and criminally responsible yes. for the spread of the COVID yes. virus because he did not take precautions with mass, tra- mass transit and other issues. Uh, the governor that allowed the, the, uh, the nursing with homes the to be used yeah. for COVID victims. Um, I have a high school friend that lost his mother-in-law and his father within a two-week period because of Cuomo's uh, policy of putting COVID victims into nursing homes. Let's hold him. Well, let's hold him responsible. responsible for each right. and every but, I mean, death. but this is how we, right. But this is how ridiculous this is getting. Right. So now you're going to hold, you know, you're going to do the police. You may as well do everybody. Do them all equally. Why, why should the police be subject to this, but other people not be held accountable in politics? Right. Why, why shouldn't, uh, you know, the senators and the Congress people be held just as liable for what they say that maybe destroys people's reputation. Right. I mean, why not? I mean, my God, if that were the case, Trump could sue the heck out of probably 99% of the Democrats. But, of course, they won't do that. <laughs> could you imagine they no, did they that? Won't. Oh, you yeah, know, I, I just, I, I think but that, now, okay. No, go ahead. Finish, please. No, I, I, I was going to say, you know, like I said earlier, uh, that I think that politicians are very reactive. They don't think things through. They react with, when they think things are threatening to them and things are getting bad. And they don't think that they don't analyze things like, come on, it's how stupid does it sound defunding the police? Don't. In New York City, for example, the crime is going up. OK, majority of people that live in New York City. I would say 99 percent of the people don't want to, don't want that done. They're now frightened that they're actually cutting off a lot of the police in the city. But actually what the politicians are doing is they're making it look like they're doing more than they're actually doing to try to pull the wall over uh, the protesters, which is and that's a wrong thing to do. You're better off being honest. You're better off being honest and saying, look, we'd love to be able to cut the police. We can't. But here's what we can do, right? That would be the smart thing to do. 
We can do we can we can do more training programs. Okay, we can do we we can monitor our police better. If we find out that any of them are racist or we find out that they're doing things the wrong way, we can pull them out. I mean, there's things that they could do that make sense, but it doesn't make any sense when you say we're going to cut the police by a billion dollars when it's a lie anyway. It's just it's wrong and it's cruel to do that, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and no, I, I love the articles that you see now coming up in the newspaper and other medias uh, criticizing police unions. And I had to explain this to people. Each and every agency has some sort of representation. Some of the agencies don't have any representation at all. But they're not necessarily unions, as you think of the AFL-CIO or the SIEU. Um, it's not that type of thing. It's more of an association where we have bargaining power for our benefits and pay. Uh, it helps protect us against labor and, and pay abuse. Um, it, it's, it's not to the same level as union is. They don't have the clout that people seem to think of. And if a person is found guilty of an ethics or criminal violation, the union is not going to protect them. So now we hear them, instead of going just defunding the police, they're going after our fair representation. So we end up finding that a teacher or an employee of McDonald's has better representation than a police officer. So, again, they become the straw man, the, the thing that you can turn around and focus your anger and hatred on. You know what's going to happen? And then this is very, very sad. You're going to get less qualified people wanting to become police officers because they're going to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I mean, I, I talk to the police all the time in New York City. I mean, I walk up to a lot of them, and they're wonderful people. I mean, yeah, you know, they, they, they take the time. They talk to you. They, they you know, you, they t- I tell them who I am, and, you know, they tell me, you know, what, you know, what their point of view is and how, you know, frustrated they are. And they just want to go out and do their job. And I've seen so many police officers. I mean, I've watched them do their jobs, and they're very careful, very meticulous. They're not out there to hurt people. They're not out there to beat people up. They're just out there to do their job and protect the community. That's it. And uh, you, maybe you get a few bad apples in there that, uh, you know, shouldn't be police officers. And maybe when, you know, before somebody becomes a police officer, maybe they take maybe a psychological test of some sort. And uh, if that test shows that there's, that, that there's potentially an anger problem or something, then you don't want them to become police officers. Maybe, see, that's what we should be focusing on, not just saying we're going to cut the police out. Let's focus on what can we do to prevent these types of people from getting into the police. Because even if you cut your police down, you're still going to get those kinds of people in there. So rather than cutting the police down, which hurts the general public, let's find, let's find you know, where we can resolve this, where we're going to you know, get less people in there that maybe have these problems. I think that's what they should do. That's my opinion. I mean, right? That makes more sense. Yes. Absolutely. Anybody? And there's, there's, a comment, there's a comment in the chat room from our, our friend Sasquatch uh, about you know, this officer that ended up killing uh, Floyd um, – that he had 18 civilian complaints. This is where yeah. it's down to the department. They they dropped the ball. The boss. I mean, how disgusting is that? Like, the there should be like, if you have two, co- yeah, it, it, that's disgusting you, to have all those complaints and, and not to get rid of the guy. Absolutely, but that's that's something that they have yeah. to work on internally. I mean, internally, these, exactly. you know, uh, and and you know who I blame for this? What, you, I'm going to blame the mayor. Because the mayor's exactly. responsible. I mean, he, he, he hires the commissioner. He appoints the commissioner, right? The commissioner appoints the chiefs mm-hmm. of police. 
and it's their responsibility. Where are these guys? But before the before all of these protests, where the hell was De Blasio? Where was he? Where was the mayor in San Francisco and Los Angeles and all these places? Why didn't they sit down? And before all this happened, I mean, we've always we've had these problems for a while. There have been things that have happened. Why haven't they just sat down and tried to figure out, you know, what, you know, um, you know, how to resolve these problems before they get out of control? That's what should have been happening. I, I blame the politicians. Uh, just so, so people know, understand, under NYPD, there are several levels that you go through. If someone ends up with a civilian complaint, inside each command, there's something called an integrity control officer. He is someone that sees that you've got someone that's getting a lot of complaints. He's going to turn around, pull that cop's record out. He's going to do an internal investigation, at which point the officer will be pulled off of whatever duty they are, probably put behind a desk, probably sent to psych services or whatever. They're going to do a full investigation. If it finds that there is some criminal activity with that officer, then it advances to the internal affairs. And then he would be going for prosecution, firing off the job, loss of benefits, whatever. So NYPD has that mechanism in place. If Minnesota had it, then they didn't use it. So that comes up to that individual command out there in Minnesota. And this is what people fail to understand. Each department is different, and you can't do a one-size-fits-all, but we can make recommendations on how best to prevent a bad officer from getting even worse and controlling that, the activities of that officer or getting rid of them, dismissing them. But this is, this is the conversation we should be having. Defunding the police is not making the police. No, it, just sound, it sounds good. It just sounds good, but it's not the right way of going about it because you're not going to get to the root of the problem. You, know, you have to find solutions to deal with you know, managing – uh, when you're hiring people into the police department and making sure you're not getting the wrong people in there, you don't want to put a, you don't want to create a situation where you're where all of a sudden people don't want to become police officers and then the good ones don't apply for positions. You know, it's like politics. People don't want to get into politics because of all the crap they got to go through. So you end up getting the like, politics is probably a good example of what happens when you don't get competent people running for office, right? We have so many incompetent people in office right now that you never get anything done. But, like, I think that, it, you know, you don't want to discourage good people from applying. You just want to make the system better and, and, and work for everybody. And you, want to, and you want to, listen, racism is a problem in this country, and it's something we have to all deal with. And I think one of the things I think that should be done is I think that, you know, when kids go through school, college, you know, in their jobs, I think there should be courses that are mandatory that they take uh, talking about racism, talking about the history of people, and people need to be better educated. We need to work on trying to reduce the level of racism in this country because it is a reality. It is out there. Um, but we have to do it the right way, you know. And I, I sometimes I, don't, I think politicians, like right now, they're talking about wanting to do all these things and wanting to correct the problems and everything else. Believe me, in six months from now, it will all be forgotten. They'll, they'll move on to something else, and that's a shame. It really is. Well. Michael, people can find you at the uh, Central Park South Civic Association website. I wish we had more time because half the stuff I wanted to talk to you about, I haven't even touched upon. So uh, next time you come on, let's do a full hour instead of just a half an hour. That sounds like a plan. Thank you so much. And uh, All right. happy birthday to your, your mother, right? Your mother's birthday? Yep. She'll be 88 tomorrow. God bless you. Wow. That's we'll the have most a- important thing. Enjoy. Thank you, Michael. God bless, and thank you for the hard work you do. And we'll be talking again soon. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. All right. Michael Fisher, check him out. Uh, Central Park South Civic Association. And let's welcome back onto the show, running for office out of uh, Chicago, Illinois, for Congress, Lieutenant Colonel Sangari. Good afternoon, Lieutenant Colonel. How are you doing today? It's good to be here, Anne, and uh, uh, happy birthday to your mom, too. Yeah, God bless her. (laughs) If anyone wants an Italian mother, I'll ship her over to you. We'll take her. It's okay. I got uh, four uh, four kids. She can take care of if she wants to. <laughs> yeah, you're running for the ninth district congressional seat out of uh, Chicago, Illinois, and oh my goodness, what a! I thought New York City is bad. You guys are crazy over there. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, it is a reality of what happens when you have one party rule for 71 years just in the ninth congressional district. So it becomes a dictatorship, and um, eventually the incumbency itself is a self-looking ice cream, as they say, and um, continues to breed corruption. Um, a lot of the bad things that are happening today, a lot of the individuals that you see in the street causing the trouble that they are to include Antifa. Some of these individuals really started going back from Occupy Wall Street, filtered into these organizations that uh, even the husband of the incumbent that I'm running against established here to try to uh, uh, agitate uh, all those Trump rallies in 2016. So this is what happens. You create these type of monstrosities, they get out of hand, and you can't control them at the end. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, it's gotten so very out of hand. But as I was doing my research on a lot of what's going on today, we're finding elements seeping in from outside of our borders that are influencing, even, you know, elements within our borders, influencing the growth of this fascist anarchist movement. Uh, I don't know if you could be a fascist and anarchist at the same time, but it seems like they're trying to. Uh, We're seeing a influence of George Soros. We now are able to tie some of it directly back to him. We see uh, influences, believe it or not, I said this when we first saw um, the Occupy Wall Street of uh, ISIS, because you see some of the flags and signs they're waving and the way in which they cover their faces and dress. Uh, We're seeing now China sending into the United States uh, weapons parts to help them arm themselves uh, we're getting hit by our enemies from every single angle they possibly can, and it's all morphed into this movement. Well, it is because everybody has an interest, right? You can't defeat the U.S. on the battlefield. You gotta, uh, you know, uh, do what historically has happened within every empire, every major nation. You get to destroy from internal, and this is just a reality. You know, I was uh, born in Iran. I'm an Assyrian Christian, as you know. Uh, but uh, uh, a lot of the reason why Iran fell was at the time Shah was sending his uh, uh, middle class at the time. Middle class in Iran uh, was very profitable. They were sending their uh, sons and daughters here to get educated. And unfortunately, they ended up in the UCLA areas and Berkeley and uh, uh, started taking the socialist ideology back. Well, the socialists and the Islamists in Iran linked up together. They toppled the government, and the Islamists turned around and killed all the socialists. And uh, now you have an Islamic Republic in Iran. Uh, These teachers who taught them were American teachers who taught this idea that the Shah is bad, you get to get rid of him, you have to have this kind of a communist manifesto ideology that exists, 
and the individuals who actually lived in an economy where an a Iranian in the middle class could get up in the morning, uh, have his uh, uh, breakfast in Iran, fly to Paris, do shopping, uh, spend his time uh, for a late lunch, uh, early dinner in Paris, and fly back to Iran on the same day on a cheap ticket, and that was his lifestyle for a day off. And uh, they destroyed that lifestyle to get to what they have today, which is an Islamic Republic. And I tell people, you know, you want to have a religion, you know, God bless you. But at the end, you don't know how it's going to turn out. No, and the decimation of the Jewish and Christian community in Iran, and no one talks about that. You know, you were lucky that you were able to get out, but a lot of them never made it out and never made it out, <laughs> never even made it alive. No, no. Look, uh, the 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 Jewish community, and I tell the liberal Jews here in Chicago, continuously keep on voting for uh, individuals like the current incumbent who takes money from J Street, is anti-Jewish, supports BDS, and she's supposedly Jewish herself. I tell them that uh, the Jews are the canary in the coal mine for every country. When they start getting attacked, uh, when anti-Semitism is on the rise, the country has issues, and once they've left. The country is done. Just like in France right now, uh, 75% of the Jews have left uh, uh, France uh, because uh, it, you just they realize that we have to have somewhere to go to. Uh, our problem is if we destroy what we have today here, where are we going to run to? Uh, and I always keep on warning them that uh, you have to be, uh, you have to understand socialism doesn't mix well with Judeo-Christian values and beliefs. If it did, those socialist countries would have had Judeo-Christian beliefs behind them. Uh, so it is a reality of what you have to face. It's unfortunate, but uh, you know, history sometimes takes time for people to learn the lessons. Well, you know, looking at the uprisings that we have in the urban areas with this Black Lives Matter movement and the um, Antifa. Uh, the last thing these people are are anti-fascist. They are completely fascist. But you notice that when they attack the Christian churches and the Jewish synagogues. They don't attack the mosques. But no one is saying anything. And we have Mayor de Blasio saying that, you know, churches and synagogues have to stay closed. You can't practice your faith. But the hypocrisy and and the brainwashing we have going on is is outrageous. Well, I, I, it's not brainwashing. It's a plan, and the plan is to have to be executed. And part of how you're on insurgencies, I've participated uh, in uh, low-level insurgencies because of the type of work I had to do, multi-wise. And I've been on the uh, both ends. I've had to fight against insurgencies. I mean, around Australian army force structures to keep the root of Christianity alive between 2014 and 2017 in both Syria and Iraq, uh, we had to somewhat run an insurgency. Uh, now, in that process, I will tell you that in 2015, we had one of our commanders killed. He was an Assyrian Christian commander fighting in Syria against ISIS. However, who killed him and assassinated him? It was a group of YPG Kurds who are socialists who t- have taken money from Russia in the past and with conducting a raids into Turkey to kill other Kurds, who was flying the flag at the time. Um, my commander was killed on the ground. Antifa flag was being flown with the YPG Kurds that were on the ground learning their tradecraft to be able to come back here and execute it. 
These people didn't go there to learn that trade craft and not to apply it here in the U.S. They did it for a purpose. The problem is you cannot get rid of these type of folks because they tie themselves first to Antifa, uh, or I should say Occupy Wall Street, then they become Antifa, then they float into Black Lives Matter. And what happens is because they tie themselves to a lot of these political organizations that the uh, uh, political parties here use in order to be able to get out the vote and be able to win votes for themselves, it becomes very difficult because when you do the link analysis, you realize that a lot of these bad actors are actually tied to indeed even individuals within our own Congress. And uh, if you just do a link analysis, you would have to go in there and, you know, arrest a lot of folks. It becomes difficult. And they do this, this part of how you run an insurgency. You get to tie yourself to a politician or at least indirectly or directly to one of their organizations to ensure that if they ever try to go after you, at least you have some political clout so where you have merged yourself into the system. And then hopefully if you have an organization that is like a rebel organization in this case, you could turn around and make it a political organization in the future to give it legitimacy. Well, there's been the call to have Black Lives Matter listed as a terrorist organization. But heaven forbid you say that, the moment you say that, you're a racist. And well, look, I've, I've asked this over and over again. If Black Lives Matter so much, why aren't you out in front of Planned Parenthood protesting the black lives that are aborted, the preborn that are aborted? I was uh, talking to a young man here. He said, do black lives matter to you? Uh, you know, uh, sir, I go, they matter more to me than you. He goes, how's that? You know, I'm uh, a young black kid. He goes, how's that possible? I'm black. I go, yeah, but you're not running for office. I am. I said, you can't make a change in the bills and the laws. Uh, you cannot have effects that you're looking for until you're in Congress. I said, if the black lives matter to you, why are you not running for Congress? You meet all the requirements in accordance to the Constitution. He goes, well, it would be too hard for me to do. I go, then you don't care about black lives. I said, look, I'm running against an incumbent. She's got $2.3 million in her coffers. She's been there for 20-plus years. She's got a machine that is working for her. I'm running at a time where, because of COVID restrictions, the uh, governor, who's from her party, doesn't even allow me to go house to house to knock on anybody's door. I have a social media campaign that is constantly being suppressed by these uh, social media platforms that are not wanting my information to get out there because there's a Republican in front of it. But I'm still doing it. I said, you have to try. I said, there's 535 members in Congress, 100 of them sit in the Senate. Every year, you should have at least 1,073 in the coffers ready to go. He goes, how is that possible if you only have 500 plus? I guess you should be running them as Democrats and Republicans against every incumbent to knock them out. I said, if you're not going to do that, then you're not going to get to the end goal where you can affect the laws, right? That's what you're looking for. I said, think about it. And uh, it came out in a more recent comment in a discussion with a young man. I said, what did you accomplish with Black Lives Matter? You painted the street using your own money. On that street, cars drive on it with muddy tires. People ride over it. People spin on the street. Birds poop on it. Dogs and cats urinate on it. So literally, you wrote your name on an on a area where it's nothing more than being spat on being used as nothing more than a driveway. I said, how did you accomplish anything out of that except for writing your name on a, on a piece of payment? I said, you're being played, 
You don't understand you're being played. Somebody tells you that it's a, uh, a movement in civil rights for children. You destroyed a lot of the civil rights gains from the 60s because in the 60s, the leaders of the civil rights movement said, you know what, we're going to keep the anti-war protesters. And these were what they called at that time even liberal whites out of this discussion to include the communists. And they gained more because it was a peaceful movement that they were after. And you came along and completely destroyed that. Because if you had learned anything from the history of Black Panthers or all these older uh, you know, revolution groups, they'd never get anywhere because they do not understand that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many places you spray paint your name, the person sitting in Congress writes the uh, laws, uh, creates the bills, and writes the laws, and you don't when you're outside of the system. So if you truly care about Black Lives Matter, go find yourself some decent young black uh, males, females who are educated, independent. you got billionaires in your community and running for Congress. And then try to change the laws. Otherwise, you really don't care about black lives. Colonel. Well, I... I is, uh, go ahead, Curtis. Colonel, this is C.S. Bennett, co-host, United States Navy. Anyway... Looking back at um, what's been transpiring over the last few months, especially the last few weeks with all these protests, I've seen the police, you know, people get up in the faces of police officers, but I've also seen these um, protesters get up in the face of National Guardsmen and things like that. Now, with the the 4th of July weekend coming up, and there's, you know, people expecting, you know, a lot of protesters at these statues, um, do you think that these people should face some kind of jail time or whatever for um, interfering with not just law enforcement but any any federal agent or national guardsman? Because, I mean, I've seen some vicious stuff, you know, where they got up in these people's faces almost nose to nose. And I have to give these guys credit. They were very professional. They didn't respond, but they they stood there and took it. And I think these guys should be, you know, arrested. You know, their pictures are, I mean, high definition clear who they are. So I think they should be taken into custody eventually for inciting a riot and everything else, interfering with, you know, what's being, you know, put forth by law enforcement and the National Guardsmen. What's your take on that? Well, look, there's uh, laws on the books already, you know. If if I, as a civilian, put my hands on somebody, it's considered assault. If a police officer does it, there's some immunities, but he's doing it based on the requirements that he's executing the law and uh, trying to ensure that, you know, we have civil order in the nation. Uh, I, the only reason these individuals, if you look at them, it's not that getting in their faces of these folks. These guys have guns. These guys have weapons. You mentioned the Chinese uh you know, uh, uh, weapon parts are coming in. You, If you look at CHOPs, you had folks carrying weapon systems that are being supplied by outsiders. You know, this whole thing that came up about the Russian bounties. Well, uh, guess what? Russia is tied to the Shanghai Corporation Organization. The lead for that is China, Tricom. And China has been supplying a lot of those AK-47s into the northwest uh, markets up in Seattle. How come we're not going after China? because the politician doesn't want to do that. The only reason they are not using their weapons against the law enforcement because they know the second they use them, they'll be wiped out. But I got to tell you, you allow this to get out longer, 
then uh, it needs to. Eventually, they'll start using those weapons against not just law enforcement, but the military, period. So my recommendation is go after them. Ensure you go after them hard and put them in jail. When I was going through the uh, interview for my uh, primary with the FOP here, Chicago Fraternal Order Police, uh, you know, I was leaving. One of the German said, I want to thank you for your service. I said, mine was easy. I just had to shoot that guy. You got to kiss his ass. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but that's where we're at right now. You know, the police, as I'm a, a member of the Legion of St. Michael law enforcement community, uh, I know that is, or they're facing absolutely enormous, enormous pressures. And a lot of them aren't making the money you think that they are. They just passed certain laws and the requirements recently under the current democratic structure here, and they're going to start going after their pensions too. So it's very difficult to be able to be a law enforcement agent at this time, given the fact that, uh, you know, the politicians have literally stabbed you in the back and allowing these type of insurgent operations to continue. Well, you know, you said something very poignant, you know, because you're aware that I am retired NYPD. Um, I gave up a corporate career just to serve because I felt I needed to serve uh, to help people. Which is, if you ask any cop, why did they become a cop? Because they felt they had a need to help people. They just wanted to be able to help. But now with what they're doing to police officers, and you talk about the lack of indemnity that we are now going to be having, how they can go after them uh, civilly to take away their home, their pension, anything that they've got. Um, It's going to backfire big time. And I had made this observation before that under Bill Clinton, he sent down this thing about, you know, uh, community policing, tying funds into certain requests, requirements. It's now going to get even worse because now you're not going to have anyone that wants to become a small town cop or a city cop. You're not going to have local cops anymore. It's all going to be federal cops. It's going to be the ability to federalize law enforcement nationwide. And that's the last thing our nation needs. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I agree, but that was a plan, right? The plan was to destroy the local policing so you can federalize it. And if you federalize it, then you could control it. And if you're one political party in charge, and especially if you're able to turn around and add to those voter lists that are not American citizens, and suddenly overnight you gain 20 to 30 um, million people more in, in your voting block, you literally become one nation rule. What I've seen in Chicago, which is 71 years of one party controlling it, is what they're trying to duplicate at the higher levels. Uh, Look, we need two parties for this nation to be successful. You cannot have one party dictate what it needs to be done. It's unfortunate there's a plan in place. What they're doing to the police now was looking at where you want to be five years from now. Like I said, uh, it's simple insurgency operations, right? A lot of people are involved in it, don't even know that they're involved in it. They're just that useful idiot that you get a fine. Everybody has a need. The press media has a need. The politician has a need. The guy on the ground has a need. If you fulfill all the needs, create a little party atmosphere, bring everybody to the table, and you have the money, you could run the operation successfully for yourself. I think, look, the police issue is very simple. If you don't fix it now, and you're not going to be able to get ahead where you are in five years where this is going to blow up on you. Uh, the reality is that 
uh, policing system of systems approach is not that difficult. Right now, the problem is uh, the young police officer who's going through the training pipeline is being told basically by this training who only has one job to make sure that that young police officer survives. He's being told that, you know what, everybody's against you, everybody's trying to kill you. On the other hand, the politician keeps on telling the civilian that the police is against you, he's trying to kill you. So the two sides have created this atmosphere where the cop shows up on the scene, is already ready for escalation of force, and the civilian on the other side believes that he's being targeted uh, because of, in this case, racial profiling. And what happens when you add in the flight or flight response, all you see is escalation of force, and it leads to these type of uh, fights that are taking place. Uh, so you can fix those issues. They're very simple. Uh, when we took our multi-police and we took them to California, we looked at what the sheriff department was doing years ago. We saw for 300 hours the training is the same. There's only 100 hours in that 400 that is different. So certifying them at that level for a small amount of interaction, understanding how to deal with issues to de-escalate is easy to do. But it's a matter of just changing the laws, allowing that to happen. At the federal level, you have to create a federal requirement to do that. So I think we're in a position where we can create it based on the executive order that the president signed. It's just a matter of ensuring that the uh, one of the parties in, uh, in the Congress supports that process to keep policing more local than federal. Absolutely. Now, Curtis, you had a question. Well, basically, I was going to um, say that um, while you call in the next guest, I was going to ask the colonel a question. That, you know, I can't connect directly to our next guest. But anyway, Colonel, I know we have domestic issues here, but we also have foreign concerns. And as we know in the news recently, China has been um, coming hard, coming down hard on Hong Kong. You know, it's supposed to have um, one country, but a two, two system, you know, um, um, country. But I knew it would be a matter of time before the Chinese, you know, tried to get, a, you know, get away with um, taking over Hong Kong completely into their, you know, controlling um, former government. As a congressman, what can you do to kind of like, you know, let the Chinese know that we're not going to allow for that to happen? And the way they treat these people over there now. Um, Curtis, unfortunately, they're way ahead. They're, you know, you, you, you've been in the Navy. Thank you for your service. I'll tell you that uh, oh, yeah. China's on the hilltop right now looking down. Uh, they haven't secured the hilltop yet, but, you know, we're looking up at it. While we're too busy depending on, uh, you know, what statue should go up in Ohio, you know, whether it be Columbus uh, statue or Struck Boy R.D. statue, uh, the Chinese have moved using the COVID uh, down in South America in our backyard. Uh, they've moved into Argentina in the f- uh, past few months into Bolivia and Peru, have taken over almost 63% of the uranium 
uh, mining. Uh, we have a mine that we want to be able to develop here in Texas, but they pay money through their lobby groups to push Green New Deals in support of uh, ensuring that we cannot develop all mining fields here, uh, same as fracking, to where they can control the uh, our future manufacturing. They don't just own our current manufacturing, they own our future manufacturing. Uh, if you push for all vehicles to be electric, and China owns uh, pretty much every uh, iridium uh, mining that you need, then guess what? Uh, every single vehicle that you drive is going to be tied to China. Uh, China has been moving in Southeast Asia. I was on uh, stage in 2015 warning about this, but uh, we're hoping that maybe sooner than later people will understand that and start bringing our manufacturing back. Well, Lieutenant Colonel, I would love to have you back on. There's so much more. I wanted to delve more into China and its influence, especially with this new um, uh, medicine that's coming out of there and its ties to George Soros and the Wuhan lab and everything. The, the, the effect of China within the United States, people fail to understand the width and scope of it. So that's going to be, have to be another conversation. So I really appreciate you being with us. You are running for Congress. People can find you on your website and help you with your campaign by going vote Sangari, your last name, S-A-N-G-A-R-I, correct? Correct. VoteSangari.com. And, uh, you know, we're 100 plus days away. All the help we can get would be wonderful. And we're hoping that on 3 November, uh, I'm in Congress, so I could reverse some of the gains that China has made. You defeat China, you will fix a lot of the issues with Russia and internally what's happening in our country. Well, God bless you for the hard work you do. Thank you for your service, and you will be back on soon, sir. Thank you very much, and happy 4th of July, and God bless. Thank you. All right, check them out, votesangari.com. We've got our next victim up on the line here. I want to welcome back onto the show John O'Connor, the author of the book Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. I did that all in one breath, John. Uh, that, that amazes me now. I was able to do well, that Well, that's a long title. Over. That's a long title, and maybe it's also a paragraph at the same time. So, But, uh, you know, I wanted to tell the prospective book buyers what the book was about because it uh, it covers a lot in 275 pages. You can get about the whole thing that you want to know about Watergate, including the phony journalism. That's really the key to it that infects our entire body politic today is you can't make a decision – as a country, as a society, if you're getting false information from the major media that's willfully false, that's partisan, that's willfully false, it's just geared to a particular goal, uh, and, and that's not right. Well, we're seeing that left and right, especially in what is going on today. And as I made an observation to one of our earlier guests, you notice how they ramp up the crisis, the disaster Everyone goes into complete crisis disaster mode. They took away Easter. They are now taking away July 4th. Right. Right. They're doing it, and it, you know, it's all designed. All of it is designed, and uh, you know, there's no doubt from the very outset that uh, China had infected us with the virus. We need to do something about it, but the whole thing has had a layer of 
what do you want to say, uh, just irrationality and, and, uh, and, and wildness to it over the top uh, so that everyone's afraid, everybody doesn't know what they, what they can do, what they can't do. We're all in a state of disarray. I think there's good, logical, sensible public health initiatives that we should all follow. We probably should have been doing that from the beginning rather than just simply completely locked down. Now that we look back on it, maybe the lockdown should have maybe been for a couple of weeks until we figured it out. And then we reopened, but reopened cautiously. And then we probably would not have had this rush for the young people to get to, to crowd into bars and restaurants. We probably could have done a better job had we not locked everybody up for two months. But that's my thought. You know, that's my armchair quarterbacking. Well, you know what it is, is that, you know, you separate. We are social creatures. We as human beings are social creatures. We crave the companionship of others. When you lock people down, this is when people experience more mental illness, physical ailments, because they're not getting to the doctor. Uh, matter of fact, um, one of the things I wanted to ask Lieutenant Colonel didn't have a chance is that we're finding the VA canceled millions of appointments for veterans, and they still have not rebooked them yet. So we're finding people are not getting to the doctor. Cancers are not being diagnosed in time. So we have more people dying from other things besides this virus. We've got far more deaths from heart attacks, cancer, uh, other serious illnesses than we have from the COVID virus. Well, yeah, and the lockdown itself causes deaths because there's a certain number of people, and they can predict it, and I'm not making this up because public health people say it. You, lo- you, get, you lose jobs, a certain amount of people get despondent and kill themselves, or they're just sitting around uh, drinking beer or, or doing other things and killing themselves. There's also people that suffer severe, severe physical problems because of the lockdown and various for various reasons. So that itself, not only are people not getting treated because of the lockdown and not going and getting preventative health, which everybody thought was so great until the lockdown happened, now, of course, you're not getting urgent care and people are afraid to go in and have their breasts examined or that, uh, you know, tumor taken out. So it's a terrible thing, and but, but you think about the number of deaths that's been caused that way. So... It's it's not a good thing, uh, I think. Uh, but whatever the president does or doesn't do, he's going to get criticism. And then what that does is, is it gives, in a lot of quarters, it gives people a lack of confidence. And uh, that's the whole idea. That's what they're trying to do. You know, um, those that listen to the show know that I've had my mom now living with us. Um, she suffered a stroke. In the midst of all this going on, in the midst of the height of the COVID virus, she suffered the stroke at the end of March. And um, I had to fly down to the Virgin Islands where she lived to physically get her and bring her back. And if anyone deals with someone that has a major stroke, every moment they do not receive physical therapy is months of recovery. And for the two weeks. And she had, they were going to quarantine her for a full two weeks here. Unfortunately, I've got a great doctor. We actually pay for concierge service uh, with our GP. And it costs us an arm and a leg, and we have to cut our budget every month just to make sure we were able to afford that. But we're able to do that. Not many people could. So I was able to get her tested and into rehab a lot quicker 
than what our state required. You know, so fortunately, I've been able to get her the care and need she has, but not everyone had that ability to do that. So how many other people were just like my mom that did not get the care and need? Because I look at what I had to do, the hoops I had to jump through, the things I had to do. Not everyone had the knowledge and ability that I have. So how many more people suffered worse than getting the COVID virus? Well, that's right. That's right. You give a few examples right there. I mean, multiply that out across the country. What do you got? It's absolutely uh, uh, stunning. And right now they're going into the second scare. And as I pointed out, they took away Easter. They are taking away Fourth of July. Any major holiday that conservative Christian would be very interested in, like the birth of our nation or the salvation that we got from our Lord is going to be quashed. We got Mayor de Blasio already still saying that churches and synagogues cannot open, but mosques can, but churches and synagogues can't. Anything that would be for Trump, they're, they're stamping out. Uh, uh, did I hear you right? And I did was not up on this. Did you tell me that? Uh, just tell me that the mosques can stay open, but the churches can't. Exactly. De Blasio wow. specified synagogues and churches. He did not say mosques. Wow. That that's, was his order. Uh, that's mind-boggling. Um, that's mind-boggling. So, you know, when the country was founded, I didn't think you could discriminate against religions, one religion in favor of the other. The whole idea was the founders were afraid that somebody would come in and say, okay, the Episcopalians win and the Catholics and dissident Protestants lose and the and the Jewish faith loses, but okay, go to the Episcopalian church or go here. Or in the case of some states, go to the Presbyterian church. That's what the founders <laughs> found <laughs> abominable. And now look what we're doing. Look what we are doing. Exactly. Exactly. Matter of fact, I had an article that I wanted to bring up with Pastor Daryl Scott and uh, was not able to. uh, But there was a pastor out of the Baltimore area that was given a cease and desist order saying that he could not get up into his pulpit and have a service. Even if they did safe distancing and they limited the number of people to each service, they sanitize the air. No, he was handed a cease and desist order, and in the middle of his sermon, he took the cease and desist order and ripped it up, videotaped it, sent it out to his parishioners. God bless that man. Yeah, this is how that takes gotten. some guts, but good. But at the same time, uh, you know, I mean, I'm concerned from a public health perspective. I'm concerned about a lot of these protests. Forget about the stores that were looted and all that stuff. I mean, the protests themselves uh, seem to constitute a public health hazard, and our and our um, elected representatives don't always have the guts to say something about it. At least say, "Look, I respect your right to protest. Try to so have a socially distant protest. How about that, guys?" Uh, but no, we can't do that because we don't have the guts to say that. Uh, but you know, uh, that can that can tremendously. But no. No, can't do that. So we have a, an odd, odd uh, country right now, and uh, our values are getting out of whack. And, uh, you know, God help us if uh, the progressives win in the fall, because that's that's what all this is aimed for. You know, what I find amazing, you know, and I look at it from the law enforcement 
perspective. And I, I see these liberal white protesters out there, these elitists, going up to the officers that are holding the, the line. Officers are wearing their masks and their face shields. The protesters are literally spitting in their face. They're going up to the black officers. They're picking out the black officers. They're calling them traitors. They're calling them Uncle Toms. They are doing anything and everything to provoke those officers. Now, having stood that line, I understand the frustration and the anger and the will, the the urge, the need to turn around and get back in that person's face and put them back in place. But these men and women are standing there so stoically and so strong. And I, I look at them and my heart bleeds for them. And I look at the officers on either side. In one particular, I saw an officer. He was almost in tears, a white officer, looking at his brethren standing in line shoulder to shoulder with him, looking at the pain this guy is going through because of these, I'm going to start cursing, these idiots. I'm trying to hold it. Well, well, you know something? Uh, These people are putting their lives out on the line every day to protect us. We need them. We don't pay them enough. Uh, They are people that are necessarily patriotic because, and I say patriotic in the very broad sense, faithful not just to their country but their state their city the families uh, their churches they're there to help preserve order for all of us so we can live happy lives and productive lives and our kids can go to school without fear and this is what we're doing to them and this is just terrible Uh, i'm out here in california and uh, right in the wake of a lot of the riots so a couple guys went around and just simply assassinated two One was a security officer at the Oakland Courthouse, federal courthouse, another policeman in another area. They just assassinated them. Uh, And yet nothing said about them. We don't really have big funerals for them. There's no protests over that. Uh, But that's where where we are right now. And and, and, And that's something that I suppose you and I can't stop. But what we can do is we can all speak out about it and, and, and have a sense of moral outrage. But if you turn on the tube, other than perhaps on occasion on Fox News, you won't hear anybody uh, speaking uh, in, in outraged tones about what's happening. You won't find any pushback against people, against the whole mentality that thinks it's okay to harm policemen. And that is not good for our society. You must have respect for that person. Um, and uh, that's in the uniform. And now they're thinking about passing laws that make it almost, it it, it gives fewer rights of self-defense to a policeman than would to an ordinary uh, person. And that's one of the things that people are trying to pass right now is some sort of legislation that doesn't allow the policeman to retaliate, so to speak, or to defend themselves so it's a sad state uh if you're a policeman why would you ever go on a chase of some suspect that's just you know destroyed somebody's life you give you know they're making it yeah well new york city and new york state passed a series of laws um which at this point an officer is going to get a called to what we call a quality of life uh, situation, whether it's a noise complaint or someone parked in front of your driveway. And it has been set up in such a manner that it becomes a tremendous paycheck for whoever makes that 911 call. 
You call in, the officer comes in, he confronts the individual that is, has violated the quality of life issue. Confrontation ensues. Somehow or other, you're suddenly on someone's cell phone being videotaped. Um, the videotape now sees that you get this alleged injury. A civilian complaint is lodged against the officer. The officer that is charged with whatever, they lose their job, they lose their pension, they lose their house because now the officer no longer has indemnity. And then the city, in turn, is being sued. The city says, we'll settle. So now the officer lost everything. You now own whatever that officer had. And the city is going to give you a nice little paycheck. So, hey, you make a little 911 call and you walk away with a $5 million payout. That is how it it devolved at this point. Well, that's right. Um, it, society needs to have. That's why you normally have immunity against the government, and the government only waives sovereign immunity in certain select uh, areas where it's it's appropriate. If you get hit by a city bus, yeah, you should be able to sue for that, but not for other things. And uh, we've kind of let that op that uh, idea slip from us. Because everybody pays for that. It, it's not really the person that's doing the harm. It's everybody. So if everybody's paying, then nobody's really held responsible. Um, so that's not good. It's not good for society. And our, our, our society is, you know, can't hold its ground. Uh, you know, this, as one of the poets said, the center cannot hold. Uh, anarchy is loosed upon the world. And that's what we've got right now. John, and, but you notice it's um, all so urban areas. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah. yeah, with my last guest, I was talking about these people getting up in the faces of the um, officers and National Guardsmen. Now, last night in Miami, there was a young lady that got up in the face of an officer, and he punched her, almost knocked her out. And what I was saying before for our last guest, you know, shouldn't these people be arrested at some point before it gets out of hand? Because, unfortunately, this young lady now is going to sue the police department, the city or whatever, because she got hit. But even though she initiated it and the officer had no right to hit her, you know, she provoked it. And I'm looking at this as maybe, you know, people see this as a way to get, you know, a lawsuit going antagonize the officers so they will respond and hit them or whatever so they can say, hey, police brutality, I'm going to sue. What do you, well, what do you I think, think yeah. Well, I think you're, you're right, and I think that's where we have to have, and I've represented a lot of municipal police departments as well as the federal government in civil actions, and I think you have really heightened standards, uh, I think, in these situations where you cannot sue the municipality, state government, whatever it might be, police department, unless the police department has really done something wanton and willfully uh, and in reckless uh, disregard of their duties. But if the fellow is carrying out his duties in good faith, that the city should not be sued for this. And it's really, I feel bad for the person that gets punched. But if it is, like you say, provocation, if you have some sort of a uh, you, you should not be able to profit from your wrongdoing is my real point here. And at common law, you couldn't do that. At common law, that cop had a right to punch her as would a normal citizen. 
you know, because it was, you know, in essence, the policeman was being assaulted. You don't have to physically damage somebody to assault them. That's battery. But assault is when you are doing what this woman was doing. And in that, in those cases at common law, you know, I think a, 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 a privilege, it would be privilege. You can't come up to somebody and spit in their face and then, then sue when they punch in the face. And that's what's happening now. So I think our all of our systems are, are going to hell in a handbasket is what's happening. Well, you know, it's very interesting that you, you bring that up because, you know, officers are held to a higher standard. You know, you, you, when you're an officer, even though you are a human being, equal under the eyes of the law if you were a civilian to the next civilian, but in the officer has to be held to a higher standard. So what may be considered assault between two civilians would not be a suit assault if you happens to a police officer. So if someone turns around and spits on me, you just put whatever fluid that's in your body on mine, I would consider that an assault. But right. in the eyes of the court, if, especially if you're going before a grand jury, they don't see it that way, which brings up now the problem we have the grand jury system where you're not allowed if you're a witness or defendant to have representation inside a grand jury, but the prosecutor, which controls the grand jury, can indict a ham sandwich. And you're the ham sandwich now if you're the cop. Well, that's right. And that's why, if anything, I think the protections for a policeman should be greater than the protections of a normal citizen because we got to have to recognize uh, the perils of the du- duties of a police officer and things are going to happen Sue a policeman who's there to stop violence uh, to insert himself in these things for our protection every now and then uh, an egg is going to get broken and it is too bad but so we really ought to give police higher protection not lower protection but what's happening is society is no longer protecting itself. And who is society? You're not only talking about the policeman, and of course we're discouraging these good people from being policemen, but everybody pays for that. That comes out of your paycheck and my paycheck and in some form or fashion or uh, you know, taxes uh, for whatever. And, uh, and so every ounce of work we do, every hour of work, there's a certain percentage of it that goes not to any productive use, but to pay that person that's suing the policeman. And that's not good for society because now uh, we all get poorer because of that. So it, we ought to go back to the time, you know, our country did pretty darn well when there were no income taxes at all. People forget that. When the taxes first came in, we had income taxes of 3%. and It's only for wealthy people. It's not going to be for regular people. And we've just uh, lost all sight of it. And, uh, and, and there is a growing, and of course, the more you give in to these forces, the more they get stronger, and now you can't undo what's been done. So uh, how do you turn this back? I don't know. I wish I had a uh, magic bullet here. <laughs> yeah, the, the big lie was when they proposed the Internal Revenue Service income tax. It was supposed to be only to the top 1%. And it was only going to be 3% of the income. And everyone says, oh, you know, if you earn below this amount of money, you're not going to pay a penny. Sooner or later, it went all the way down to the poorest person having to file an income tax statement and paying tax somewhere along the way. 
And, but no, no, it was only supposed to be for the upper echelon. But now they're saying we want to tax the richest 75%. But if I remember World War II, wasn't it at one point the wealthiest were being taxed upwards to about 90% of their income? And these are the things right. that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and the others want to bring back. But they found with those taxes, American manufacturing suddenly went out the window. Uh, jobs were disappearing. We had servicemen coming back to no jobs. Right. Well, what happens is is that you're a fool. They disincentivize uh, investment, and that's what happened in the latter Roosevelt years. And it wasn't until the war came that the economy finally revived because – Roosevelt was taxing people so much that businessmen said, you know, why do I want to do this? And, of course, tax avoidance strategies have become paramount, not things that are productive for everybody. And when you can make money on the margin, if you have a lower tax rate, well, people are going to do more things on the margin, and and everybody gets wealthier. And the other thing about it is we actually collect more tax revenues with lower tax rates. Uh, and, and I look at it as investment. You know, when Ronald Reagan cut taxes, uh, the total income kept climbing, but the, his critics said, well, it wouldn't have climbed as much as if he would have kept his higher tax rates. And that's probably true for the first year or two. But if you look at this whole thing as an investment, in other words, every time you let people keep their own money, they're investing it in something, uh, in something. It could be just to share a stock. It could be in your 401k, which then invests it. But over time, that investment now is producing income, which then continually pays taxes, hopefully at a lower rate. But what happens is we want more uh, income, more economic activity, paying at that lower rate, and it's rather than having to a little economic activity paying at a higher rate that that the latter never works the high income tax never works and for people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders it's really more about punishing the rich than about really producing goods and services they don't care really if poor people suffer they like the idea of Castro's Cuba where everybody goes around and beat up cars and eats beans for for lunch you know now of course in those types of situations, Bernie Sanders will end up having three houses. Elizabeth Warren will, like the Russian people, the commissars seem to have their DACAs, and Kim Jong-un seems to have his uh, luxuries, but the regular people don't, and that's, that's where we're headed. We're headed for that type of situation where you, you do well when you're in the political power, and, and, and mind you, make no mistake about it, People that are so desperate to get Joe Biden elected, the people that I'm talking about, the power people, not the people out there that don't know any better, but the power people, they're going to be eating at the trough as soon as he gets elected. There have been $22 trillion that we have spent on poverty programs since the Great uh, Society. About $7 trillion of that has actually gone to poor people. Uh, guess where the other $15 trillion has gone? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> to there's the, a real yeah, my 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 yeah my proposal is they're talking about renaming Washington D.C. because of course George Washington was a slave owner, and I have a good idea. I think we ought to call it Overhead D.C. because that whole place is overhead. Uh, I worked there 
50 years ago as a, as a clerk, and the town was about one-fourth the size it is today. I mean, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and there's more and more pork, and nothing, none of the dollars that flow through that town and are enjoyed by all those pretty prosperous people in Washington, D.C. and surrounding counties, none of that is producing anything for the regular people out in the rest of the country. It's producing great country clubs for the people that are getting paid to government salaries. It's producing a lot of great buildings and it's producing a lot of great cocktail hours for everybody. That's why people were so afraid of Donald Trump uh, winning the foreign policy establishment that was so big on this whole Russia gate thing and Ukraine gate. They're so afraid that he's going to take away their cocktail hours from them, where in Brussels, sitting around, uh, drinking at the public expense, eating finger food, uh, you know, paying for their hotels. And this is all very important stuff. And Donald Trump didn't particularly like that and thought that we were wasting a lot of money. And so it scared the hell out of all these people. Uh, and that's why he gets so much flack from the foreign policy establishment. It's not so much his ideas other than the ideas <laughs> cut it there at their pork. You know, there's so much to talk about and it's, it's amazing you how the left really turns around and, and exerts their power. They turn around and say to the poor people, oh, you're being held down uh, because the rich guys are taking your money away from you. Then they turn around to the rich guys and says, you're guilty. You've got that white guilt or whatever. So now you've got to kowtow and kneel down and kneel to them and wash their feet. They, they separate you by making victim classes, by creating victims and by creating straw men to blame. That is how they maintain their power. Whereas we turn around and say, hey, listen, you know, we should be all equal in the eyes of the law. It should not be the color of the skin, but content of character that Martin Luther King Jr. preached. And the second we say that, we're the bad guys, we're the racist. Right, right. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say all lives matter. Oops, I hope nobody has me on tape. I said it. Um, but, yeah, the whole idea of quoting Martin Luther King today is not good. It's the content of your character, not the color of your skin. And not only are we, should we be all equal in the eyes of the law, we should be all equal in the eyes of the Lord, and we are. And those two concepts go hand in hand in the founding of America, but everywhere you go, uh, there, those concepts are being eroded, and you have special pleadings. Well, I get a special benefit because I'm this or I'm that or what. Everybody should be treated equally under the law, and the enforcement of the law should not depend on anything. It shouldn't depend on you being wealthy. If you're a wealthy person and you commit a crime, by God, you ought to be prosecuted. But that's that's true also for people who break windows and steal stuff out of Apple stores. You ought to be prosecuted. There's no excuse for that. So we have a society that's breaking down, and uh, and uh, thank God that there are still a lot of religious people and people who, even if not formally religious, are uh, you know uh, uh, still recognize all the right values. Uh, that's a huge amen to that one. You know, you said something very powerful that we are all equal in the eyes of the law. He sees the content of our character. He sees into our hearts, our souls, our minds. But, you know, but if we were to say that, 
again, once again, we would be called a racist. You know, I had asked the question of, on our last show of several of our guests. I asked, does God make mistakes? And God does not make mistakes. He chose who I was to be. He decided when, where, and to whom I was born. So if God didn't make a mistake, then what are you blaming me for? Only what I do, my actions, are, am I responsible for. What someone did generations ago, I'm not responsible for that. But what I do here today and how I work to help make things better, that I'm responsible for. Those actions are So I apologize to no one. I kneel to no one, save my Lord. Well, that's right. And, you know, one of the things that sometimes we have bad history out there is bad ideas. And the notion, people have not understood the history of this country if they think there's something called white privilege. There is some privilege. There is some especially Eastern elite privilege for people who got here early and did well and so forth, and they, they're, they're privileged. There's no doubt about it. But the privilege really does not extend that far. From most of this country, most of the people were out there uh, cutting trees uh, down with very crude instruments, working real hard to clear the land. The country was a country of poor people that came from other countries to seek opportunities. So you now all of a sudden we're calling these people privileged. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, Irish people came over here and they weren't exactly treated well. There was a political party uh, that didn't like Irish people. Well, you know, the Irish people <laughs> did, you know, just, you know, stuck at it and did fine. And that's true of every immigrant group that comes here. Eventually, they all do well if they stick with it. And that's what's so beautiful about America. But um, we don't seem to now we seem to have all sorts of uh, of uh different classes we try to classify people and divide people by various characteristics that come out of a sociology book uh and it's too bad because it's just very divisive it's against the spirit of togetherness people have very good i i I think people today everybody in the country was sickened about the death of george floyd just sickened uh now as it turns out the two of them had had some history the two of them uh, it's less a black and white thing than a, two guys that hated each other, really, from the club that they worked on. But nonetheless, people hate to see that. That's a terrible thing, and it's sickened me. But what is interesting about it is that our attitudes toward it, I'd say 96% of the people were, were horrified by that. So if that's the case, haven't we progressed quite a bit? What What is the problem? The problem might be, okay, we need better police training. Maybe we need better education for uh, people in the inner city. Maybe our uh, educational systems failed. Uh, but uh, is the problem that we have statues up or that we have names of people that used to own slaves 400 years ago? I don't think that's our problem. Uh, but what we'll do is we'll do all kinds of stuff that won't really get to the heart of any problems. And we'll just simply have more as long as we act irrationally like this. It's a, it's it's very sad to see it. It is a very sad time, but you, you look at how we have progressed as a nation. You know, they say, oh, the founding fathers, they were slave owners. Yet, they were wise enough to place mechanisms in our Constitution that allowed us, less than 100 years later, to enter into a, a, a situation where we were able 
to free the slaves, that we had an abolitionist movement from the birth of our nation that carried through and in 1865 were able to pass the 13th Amendment granting freedom to every man, woman, and child. We, they had the wisdom to place that mechanism in there, knowing that it's going to be coming to head in the future. So, yes, well, that's right. they, may have been, they may have been slaveholders, but they knew and they foresaw where the future would bring. So they said, we need to establish this nation first. If we do not establish this nation, then there is no chance of ever getting rid of slavery because we would still be under the English dominion. We would still be an English colony. We need to establish a nation first, get it set up, get it strong, and then tackle the next issue. They foresaw that. So, and we've, we have gotten to the point now, John, that we have more interracial uh, relationships and marriages and children than ever in our history. Twenty In some states, as little as 20 years ago, interracial marriage would have been illegal. It is now the norm. We have an ec- economy where we have a joining of the wealthy to the poorest. The poorest person can drive a car, have a TV, and a phone, where 25 to 30 years ago, that would be impossible. We have joined ourselves together in society so close as in never before. We continue to grow. We continue to get better. Well, you bring up a couple of real good points there. Um, One of them is, of course, that a lot of people died to make men free in this country, and there was an awful lot of passion on behalf of a lot of people uh, to, to, to free people who were in slavery. And, of course, when the country was founded, the entire world, allowed slavery, including England. And, and there's actually slavery in some of the northern colonies. People forget that. Uh, but that's but, but the, what's great about the country, because it is free, uh, uh, we, we get rid of this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and you're right. And the, the economy works better uh, today because a rising tide lifts all boats. When I was growing up, I lived in a decent part of Indianapolis, most people on my street that I, where I first grew up did not own a car. My father had a car. He had eight children, and my mother was home without a car, and sometimes he would let her use the car, and, and we were considered better off. But an awful lot of people up and down the street didn't own a car, didn't own a television set. If they had a phone, it was a, a party line. And all I'm saying is by our by our prosperity and by our free enterprise, I mean, compare it with Cuba, by our free enterprise, now uh, the poorest person has a cell phone and a car and, you know, has some good good clothes. And if anything, we have a problem in the country with obesity, not starvation. Uh, in England in 1850, everybody was starving except the wealthy. Same in Ireland. I mean, in Ireland, millions were starving. Now look at this. Now we're doing fine. We're doing fine now. Is, is, is everything perfect? Of course not. But we can keep improving so that the whole idea being that the lesser among us are doing pretty darn well. And uh, we should all open our hearts and our minds to them, participate in charities. I try to participate in charities. And most good people do that in America. It's very charitably oriented. And, uh, and, and, and actually, probably the less you tax the more you're going to find that charity does a much better job than government at providing uh, 
opportunity and uh, help for the less well-to-do, the more unfortunate. And uh, an awful lot of our, our, our colleges and our institutions were formed that way by charitable giving. Well, John, I don't know if you can continue to hang out, but we've got our next guest down on the line. They are actually the founders of the Winter Haven 912 uh, project out of Florida, because uh, we've got only about 20 minutes left on the clock here. Uh, do you want to hang out, or do you need to run? I better run. Uh, uh, a certain person who outranks me in my family uh, wants me to do something, <laughs> Your wife? so I better take off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I obey superior orders. You know that. So I've got to go do some things here. So this has been great talking to you. It's fantastic, and God bless you. God bless John. John O'Connor, check out his book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. I did that twice in a row, John, without messing hey, it up. Hey, you wonderful. God bless. Enjoy the Better than I can do it. Better than I can do it. All right. Take care now. <laughs> and you wrote it. See you now. Take care. <laughs> exactly. Right, take care. See you. All right, John O'Connor, check out his website. Um, there's a link on the show page. I want to welcome back onto the show Royal and Glenda White. Good afternoon, guys. How are you today? Hey, Howdy. how are you? <laughs> uh, my poor co-host, yep, my poor co-host Curtis keeps on getting knocked off. He has had one hellacious day of technical problems oh, with today's show. I, I, Curtis, you back with us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, Curtis. Hello, Curtis. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good to have you. We're fine as frogs here. Excuse me. Just got a case of the coughs. You know, uh, there's so much to talk about, and I don't even know where to start with you. But, Curtis, I'll let you start the conversation, and I'll take up from there. Yeah. How are things with you guys as far as um, wearing a mask down there and and, um, you know, being able to meet, are you guys able to meet as groups or do you still have to do pretty much the uh, video conference thing? Yes, we have started our meetings back up on May the 14th every week. We've been averaging wow. 52 people a meeting. Uh, wearing a mask is optional and very few people wear them. We also have a... Uh, you know, no-touch temperature gauge uh, for those people that would like to have their temperature taken. Yeah, we've been social distancing the chairs a little bit. We're putting them in, like, groups of eight and then uh, spreading them, you know, kind of far apart. But We're using the 50% restaurant model. Yeah, and it's been working out well. We're, we're, getting, we're, getting, we're averaging more people now than we were pre-COVID. <laughs> well, that's, oh, that's good. A, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, we haven't started our. Say again? You got anything going on for the 4th of July? Oh, yeah. We got a few things going on. <laughs> yes, um, at the, well, the Republican headquarters for Polk County is in the same building, and I'm running it. So, <laughs> so um, we're having a big uh, July 4th. Uh, Thing open to the public tomorrow. We're trying to get some of the surrounding community to come in and shake hands and talk and pick up a Trump sign. And and then uh, uh, two of our members are holding their annual July the 4th uh, fun thing over at their house, which we're going to right after. I think probably half the 912 will be there. So 
Should be an interesting day tomorrow. Lots of fun. Yeah, it includes uh, a car parade uh, Trump for Trump, which last time we did it, we had over 100 cars participate. Yeah. Yeah, they're coming over wow. from Lakeland. Yeah, a lot of people have been calling and asking about getting involved. I guess they're going to they're figuring out the route and they're going to join it when they go by. So we'll see how it ends up. It should be uh, really fun. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun because we have not started our tea party meetings back up. Um, I had my hands full dealing with a family member and uh, other issues, so I had to step back a little bit. But I'm starting back up in August because right now. They started to put us down into a new lockdown over here, uh, which is, it's crazy. You know, I I made the observation that they took away our Easter and now they're taking away our 4th of July. Anything that would have a conservative Christian theme to it, they want to stifle. Right. Well, Governor DeSantis here in Florida, he's got the right model. Uh, He's opened the state back up. He just had to close bars down for a while because... Large groups were going and meeting at bars and, uh, you know, in close contact with each other. And uh, so I can understand him reclosing the bars. But uh, pretty much everything else is open. And, uh, you know, we, we're doing the social distancing part. But masks, there's, uh, uh, you know, it's fairly controversial as to whether those things really help or not. All right. And we actually have... Somebody made some masks and put them up on the front table there in the front of our meeting room <laughs> and offered them. They're still sitting there. So <laughs> I, mean, I, I can understand, I can understand healthcare people, you know, who come into contact with a lot of uh, folks that uh, are sick and may have COVID. Uh, they need extra protection, but I think yeah. for ordinary life, uh, we're seeing less and less and less people walking around uh, with masks on here, at least in our area. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I'm, if, if uh, conservatives really want to have a meeting, I think what they need to do is put on black outfits, go out in the middle of the street and start throwing things around. Yeah, and start firing. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody gets concerned about all these idiotic rioters. Uh, people that are looting and burning and committing violence, and uh, nobody seems to be too concerned. At least the left doesn't seem too concerned about them uh, standing right next to each other and getting right. in people's face. Exactly. You know, it, it's well, funny because here in my my county, they now have mandatory masks when you go into any building that has access to the public, and. Uh, Early in the show, I went over nine reasons why masks are bad, uh, being from uh, buildup of CO2 in your lungs, uh, lower oxygen in your bloodstream, uh, you're re-inhaling uh, toxins and viruses that you should be exhaling freely, so you're just reinfecting yourself. The increase in lung infections that hospitals are seeing, and there's like numerous reasons why masks are bad. But we were in Wally World, my husband and I, and as he was walking, I noticed he was walking slower and slower and slower. And he has a problem with breathing, wearing the mask. He could not breathe. Okay. And if you try to talk, mm-hmm. you actually have to take the mask off your face so someone can understand what you're saying. You know, exactly. uh, I, I've seen 
things like this. But as we're in the checkout line, there's a family behind us all wearing masks and not watching the six-foot distance. And I had to turn around and say something. And it would have, it would have been as if I had just committed murder. How dare they have to oh hear God. me say, would you mind please watching the six-foot distance? I said, it's bad enough we have to wear these damn masks, but at least please do the social distancing. The kid was yeah. within three feet. Oh, dear. Yeah, give me a break. Wow. You know, and I'm sorry, but the masks don't prevent anything. Uh, I believe there's a word for that, and it's called hypocrites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's too bad. Exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Well, there, but, you know, more and more studies come out that the masks aren't preventing anything. They're not protecting and they're not preventing. They're, the stuff can travel right yeah, and it's, it's all a show. I I saw some videos on Twitter uh, with Fauci and some of the others, like Nancy Pelosi, and the moment they thought they were off camera, they took the mask off. Yeah, oh sure, that's yeah. right. I know that I've well, seen those same videos. Yep. Personally, I am sick and tired of of government people forcing us to trade what they consider to be our safety uh, for our liberty. And you know, that's exactly what's happening, and uh, well, I we know the left is using all this to try to gain more and more control over right. us. Right, and I personally think the whole mask thing and the social distance, all that is a strategic. It's psychologically uh, keeping us from speaking with each other, from communicating. It's separating us physically, and it's very psychologically uh, effective. Um, it, I, I don't know if you notice when you've been in places where you have to wear masks, um, but people don't really talk to each other anymore. They don't say good morning. Conversations aren't stricken up. The whole nine yard. I think that it's a psychology thing, and it's working. Not only yeah, that, that it's that's a compliance thing. They want to see how far they can go with making us compliant. No, I agree with that. Yeah. It, there's a lot to what you just said right there, because when I moved from New York to South Carolina, the one thing I enjoyed was walking down the street and total strangers would nod and say, good morning. How are you today? Right. Someone you that's know, that's know they look you straight, straight in the eyes. But now with these masks, no one looks you straight in the eyes. No one says, good they morning. How are you today? That's right. Everybody exactly. looks down. Yep. I've seen it. I've watched it. I've watched the behavior, and it's it's a little freaky. It is. And dehumanizing us. The very same thing yeah. they tried to do with Obamacare. You were no longer a patient. You were a unit. If anyone read Obamacare, yeah. the House bill and the Senate bill before it was married and passed, each bill from the House and Senate called you a unit, not a human being, yeah. not a patient, not an individual, not a person. You were described as a unit. And once they dehumanize us, they take away our value as a human being, and we are nothing more than useful tools to vote them in office over and over again. We are the cattle described by Sanger and other early socialists, yep. Well, I I think the good word for it is sheeple. Yep. They're trying to turn us into sheep. I agree. Now, and. You, you listen to Andrew Wilkow. <laughs> yeah. We the sheeple is what we have become. Is yeah. that we the people. 
but this is but this is the time that we've got to start pushing back. And as for me, I'm going to start to take on my county council that passed this ordinance. And for the next 61 days, as of tonight, we all have to wear masks no matter what building we walk into. Because if it has access to the public, then you must wear a mask. The employees must yeah. wear a mask. Now, how many of these employees are going to get sick because they have to wear these masks? Eight, eight hours. Eight, eight, eight hours. Eight hours. Eight yeah. hours, yeah. I've asked, I've asked a number of them in different in medical offices, um, working behind the counters at the uh, supermarket and stuff like that. How do you feel wearing this all day? They said by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. It is is having a physical effect on them, and I, you know, I understand the left needs to have their political power and all this stuff, but people need to wake up and say, hey, these people can care less about my health, whether I'm even alive or dead, as long as they get to keep what they want and have the power that they want and continue to grow rich. That's, that's where they are. And people have, have got to start recognizing it. And we're going to have to stop being on the defense and become on the offensive. We're just going to have to. We've got to do it. I had a relative who made a comment about one of her council members who opposed wearing a mask, and she was like, where, where does he think he gets the right not to wear a mask? Yeah. That's yeah. the mentality. Right. That's the mindset they have. Yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you yeah. want to be protected behind my castle walls when the crazies come and attack, you will do and act as I say. Where does that come from? That's feudal Europe. And that's what's going on here. Absolutely. I just wanted to point out to listeners that they want to look this up. There's an article by Jennifer Margolis. Uh, You can find it at jennifermargolis.net. Last name is M-A-R-G-U-L-I-S. She wrote an article back in May about wearing a mask that can be harmful, and she lists nine reasons why wearing a mask can be detrimental to your health. And one of the things you, you said that the healthcare workers were finding is fatigue. Because now your mm-hmm. oxygen level is lower, you get brain fog, right. and you are fatigued mm-hmm. because you've got a lower level of oxygen into your blood because That's of right. these stupid masks. And you think you're safe wearing a four-level mask. The more levels you have in the mask, less oxygen you're able to intake. Now, my husband was That's having a hard exactly time, right. and he was wearing a single, he had a problem mm-hmm. with a single-layer paper mask. Imagine the harm you're getting wearing these super-layer masks. Oh, I mean, and there's and there's I, one more thing I want to point out. Um, we actually work out in the park across from where we open the Republican headquarters every day. And a lot of people just like to hang out in that park and just to be hang out. And guess what we're starting to see all over the ground out there now? Masks. Paper masks. Discarded. Yep. And people, so you either see people wearing dirty masks that they've used over and over, or they're throwing them around. They don't even bother to take. So if they're if they happen to have a virus or whatever, then now it's laying there for somebody else to have to pick up. And what germs <laughs> are being spread at that point? Say again. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Probably all what kinds germs of germs. Are being spread yeah. At, yeah. yeah. So, you know. Well, but, you know, there's a there's a, there's a phrase. There's a phrase for all this, and 
uh, we're seeing it more and more and more in our lives. It's called a compelling government interest. Mm -hmm. uh, the government thinks they know more than we, the people, do, especially in these big Democrat-controlled cities and states. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just another form of Marxism and socialism. And that's, of course, yeah. what the leftists want to happen in this country. That's, I'm not saying that COVID-19 is not a deadly disease. It is. But the way that they have used it as a propaganda tool to gain more and more control over people is, uh, is, is obvious to me. Right. And they, the only way they can find to connect it to, any, uh, to the Constitution or any constitutional law is by saying this is a compelling government interest because this is not a constitutional thing they're doing in any way, shape, or form. No, it's not. And amazingly, they say, oh, we have more people you know, showing up with COVID. Yeah, because you got more tests readily available out there. More right. people are exactly. now coming forward to be tested. And people are showing positive for having the virus without even knowing they had it. It was so right. mild. They don't have the symptoms. So, and and now, now that they're trying to count every single death as a COVID death, how many tests do you think are coming up as false positives? I'm sure it's a large proportion. Yeah, and how much money are those hospitals gaining for each patient they link to COVID, even if they don't have yeah. COVID? Who's right. going exactly. to question the hospital? So it's well, I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of these – Yep. I'm convinced a lot of these so-called COVID-19 deaths, which, by the way, you know, we call the Chinese Communist Party virus – but uh, I'm convinced a, a whole lot of these deaths are not related to, well, yeah. you know, the person may have COVID-19, but they would have died from something else anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, that's cat, not what's Yeah, if they, if they go into a hospital for, for elective surgery and the, and the doctor goofs up and the person dies, well, it's a COVID death, you know. You have a, a broken ankle and, and you happen to die while in the emergency room because somebody hits you over the head, well, it's a COVID death. Really? Come on, people. <laughs> they're, they're really trying these things. And, and they don't, they, they're doing it because people, there's so many instances that they're trying to get past that they're not checking all these records, but they're finding more and more uh, deaths related to COVID as false reports. Now, I, I've heard the president say he's going to go after him on this, but this is going to be a lot of work. Because there's so many. Uh, well, Glenda and Royal, it was a pleasure having you on. I'm sorry I didn't have more time with you. People can find you by going to wh912.org, the Winter Haven 912 Project, wh912.org. You do a lot of hard work, and God bless the two of you for doing that. And I hope you have a fifth on the fourth. Thank have you. a happy fourth, and Godspeed God to you both. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Our pleasure. We'll have you on again. All right. All right, check out uh, Royal and Glenda's website, uh, WH, standing for Winter Haven 912, WH912.org. Curtis, we're down to less than a minute. Um, we're lining up guests for next week. This show had just went so fast. I'm sorry Daryl Scott didn't call in. I'll find out what happened with him and see if we can get him rebooked. But we will be here uh, next Friday, same bad time, same bad station. Correct, Curtis? Yeah, hopefully we'll have Burgess Owens on. 
All right. I sent him a little message, too. He's on vacation, a well-earned one since he won his primary. But that's all we got, folks. I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that shared over on uh, Facebook uh, and listening in on all the other platforms we're carried in. So until then, I say good night and God bless.